Hello, and welcome to the Commander Theory Podcast. I'm Nick Beatman, and I'm here with my friend, Zach Mack. Hello, theorists. Uh, so we just got off the, not not the first week, but certainly the, the week with the most spoilers from Modern Horizons 2. There's a, oh, yes. there's a lot of new commanders and potential main deck cards to talk about, uh, so I'm not going to waste a lot of time. But really quickly before we jump in, I'm going to briefly talk about our Patreon. And if you head on over to patreon.com slash commander theory, you can support the show and get sweet benefits for as little as $1 a month. If you aren't ready to be a patron yet, you can help us out by rating or reviewing us wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, let's jump right into the new commanders in yeah. this set. Uh, which one do you want to start off with? Uh, let's just go color order to start, just to make sure my brain can handle it. So um, I guess should I read this first one off? Go for it. So this is Svalen. Did I say that right? Mm, no, there's Svalen. no earthly way to know. How to pronounce yeah. this. So, <laughs> it's true. I've only ever seen this word written we, down. We've got much more difficult to pronounce commanders coming up. So oh, let's yeah, not actually, get stopped on this one. Yeah, I gotta I gotta actually prep for some of those. So this is Svalon of Sea and Sky. This is a three four Merfolk god for three mana, one blue blue. They have indestructible as long as you control at least two other Merfolk. Whenever they attack, you draw a card, and other Merfolk you control have ward one. And so Ward 1 means that whenever an opponent targets a merfolk you control with the spell, that spell is countered unless they pay one generic mana. So how do you feel about this? I am pretty low on this card. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like, it tells you to run merfolk. Okay, fine. But, like, my reward for committing to merfolk is it's a little bit harder to, to target my guys, but not. it's not really going to stop me from like doom blading your merfolk and also like uh you know a wrath is still going to kill everything except Svelin. and that's yeah. what i'm more worried about in my like go wide merfolk deck and also just it seems like really the payoff here the the most powerful thing is just like drawing a card once a turn off Svelin, which is just not very exciting to me yeah because it doesn't really do a very good job of protecting your merfolk it's not like it's giving them indestructible for the first effect or something like that, like creating like an indestructible bubble or something mm-hmm. like that. It's just ward one, which is, I mean, could be something, but probably won't be most of the time, you know? Yeah. Like Coppola didn't see a ton of adoption as a merfolk commander. So I, I don't have really high hopes and Coppola basically like made it so that spells that and abilities that targeted your merfolk cost two more to cast Mm -hmm. um so i don't think ward one is really gonna do much yeah no totally the the one thing i do want to say about this is that this definitely like feels like an old merfolk Mm -hmm. like this feels like an old merfolk tribal card so at least they got that right even if the power (laughs) the power level isn't there but i think with that said, do we just want to move on to the next commander? Because there's really not too much to say. Put your fish in it if you if you want to be a, a hipster, I guess. Yeah, if you don't like Kumana for some reason, uh, you think green merfolk are an abomination, then, <laughs> or or you know, if you think, I don't know, maybe don't know. the fact that it's a god is attractive to you. Yeah, or or you just want to throw back merfolk list. Like, sure. I mean, that's chill. All right, uh, moving on to the next one. This is Turok Dread Cantor. 
It is one and a black for a 2-1 legendary creature human cleric. It has kicker for black black. It has protection from white. Whenever an opponent discards a card, put a plus plus one counter on Turok Dread Canter. And when Turok enters the battlefield, if it was kicked, target opponent discards two cards at random. What are your thoughts on Turok? Just looking at the last year's worth of cards and discard and mono black, we've gotten some of the best discard commanders, like especially mono black discard commanders we've ever gotten in the form of like Tiny Bones and then in Turgrid. So there's really not much more you would want out of a discard commander past Turgrid, past just like stealing everything you discard so i don't really think like turok would have had to have been like insane to really knock either of those two out of their place you know um and where he's sitting right now i think he's just kind of bleh you know like yeah i'm not super into this this seems like because this is modern horizons a lot of these cards are geared for modern yeah and this is going to do a lot more in a format with you know a single opponent Uh, oh yeah this is just not very appealing. Like after the initial hitting someone and, and picking up discards, two cards at random, really, it seems like the payoff is opponent discards. He gets slightly bigger mm-hmm. and that's not a compelling payoff. And it, you, as you said, it didn't really compare well to the other discard commanders we have available. Yeah. And, and it doesn't like Turok doesn't have evasion. <laughs> like like yeah. pro white is kind of evasion for maybe a sixth of all magic cards, but not, actual evasion so yeah your guy might get big when you make them discard their hand but you're gonna have to put in more work to actually do the discard voltron thing so just it just seems like too many hoops for me Mm -hmm. i I think we can move on to the next one if you're ready yeah um so can i read this off and you can get into it sure yeah so this is ragavan nimble pilfer so ragavan is a two one monkey pirate for red just one red pip Whenever Ragavan Nimble Pilfer deals combat damage to a player, create a treasure token and exile the top card of that player's library. Until end of turn, you may cast that card. And then uh, he also has dash for one and a red, which is you cast the, the creature. He has haste until end of turn, and then you bounce him at the beginning of your end step. Um, so like you return him to your hand at the beginning of the end step. This is a mechanic from Cons Block. It's not like super strong or powerful it it doesn't really do much you know like dash just is like okay i guess i can get in there when it's opportune but everyone will know this is coming if it's your commander (laughs) yeah and also like you know bouncing back to your hand is a pretty significant downside there's a a handful of like two ish cost equipment that like equip for one and grant haste and in most cases just like casting one of those and then like playing Ragavan and equipping is going to work better for you um, because it's Mm going to work out to be the same cost, but it doesn't bounce back to your hand. It stays on the board. Although there is, eh, there's benefits to getting it back at your hand, I suppose. Like not having to worry about board wipes is certainly a benefit. Yeah. I don't think the dash is a complete and total miss, but it is definitely not the sweetest of abilities. Mm -hmm. Um, This is definitely something that was geared towards like pushing an archetype in modern is what it looks like. Like, yeah, there's yeah. Turok is, is a legendary creature and people are talking about it in regards to commander, but that's because commander is the most popular. Like I want to remind everyone really quickly right now, like everyone kind of made jokes about modern horizon one being commander masters because like it was so exciting for commander players. 
mm-hmm. but like the ramifications of like how that set actually did affect and change modern were huge like we're still experiencing them they just had to ban astrolabe arkham's astrolabe which is kind of just looked like a do nothing common artifact from the set right so I, I just want to remind people that these cards are probably better in modern than they look. And that's probably where a lot of them are going to find homes. Because mm-hmm. uh, as much as I love monkey pirates, and as much as I'm going to put this in like my other pirate deck that I have, and I know a lot of other people are going to do the same, as a commander, this guy just isn't doing a lot. Yeah, I I agree. I mean... It doesn't provide you with a ton of opportunities to build around it because yeah. you're playing with your opponent's cards. There's a couple things you can do. It like making it unblockable just to guarantee that you get that mana and that card with like Breakthrough the Line or Goblin Tunneler, Pathmaker Initiate, um, Goblin Smuggler. Uh, you can also run some Double Strike Granters to make it so that like you get two cards and two treasures per turn. But this seems like it would be like less compelling as a commander and more just like a really really solid option for the pirate tribal lists Mm -hmm. honestly like if ragavan had existed in the time when we only had um beckett brass i would have been pretty excited i would have been like oh wow like a and a cheap pirate that comes down before beckett might give you some value like ramps at your commander like that's awesome and that's that's kind of how I feel too with like Malcolm lists or if you're playing a breaches or something like that. Like this is gonna be a pretty good role player in a lot of your pirate lists. But as far as like a commander, there's yeah, there's just so few build paths. I was looking for things that triggered off of like maybe casting from exile or something like that. But um, yeah, there was not <laughs> not a lot. The biggest thing was that it lets you, if you're able to get in there consistently, you can run the processors pretty easily. But what what are you gonna get? You're gonna get like a bunch of Eldrazi scions for cheap. A lot. You're gonna get spells like efficient burn spells because you have some cards in exile. Like that's not the most exciting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's not something that pushes me to build a commander. One thing though is that it does make Oblivion Sower pretty good. So that's that's a card I would put in my Ragavan list if I was going to make it. Uh, I think that makes sense. And uh, with that, I think we could move on. Yeah. All right. I'll read off this next one. Um, This is, oh man, I'm going to go with Aivy. Aave? Aave, yeah. I was... or, or like Eve. That's good. Oh. Eve, yeah. Yeah, maybe. Because Aave sounds a lot like Gave. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'll go, I'll go with Aave, Progenitor Ooze. Two green, green, green for a 2-2 legendary creature ooze with storm. So when you cast a spell, copy it for each spell cast before it this turn. Copies become tokens. Uh, It isn't legendary if it's a token. And it enters the battlefield with a plus one, plus one counter on it for each other ooze you control. So funny. (laughs) So this is like a lot of text. It's definitely a very weird card, but... Funnily enough, the deck plays out really, really similarly to another commander that we just saw last week. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it really, if everyone remembers Thrasta the Storm Dinosaur, this is very, very similar to that. Whereas uh, Thrasta kind of, you play a bunch of spells, Thrasta gets cheap and you might hit and then you could like combo with a food chain or something. This is kind of just a food chain combo because... Uh, fun fact, all of those tokens have a mana cost. <laughs> mm-hmm. So 
each time you cast uh ave you you just get more aves yeah, and you get, get more mana significantly more mana every time you cast them yeah mm-hmm. that kind of seems like by far the best line yeah <laughs> if you're you know don't want to drop the dosh for a food chain uh there's still like some stormy stuff you can do a lot of the same cards that work well in thrasta works well here um things that like you know maybe untap your lands or things that basically pay for themselves like if you drop an exploration and then get that additional land drop uh you're mana neutral but you've got an extra storm count so there's things like that that you can do to just get like ave and you know three copies or something and then uh it'll you'll have a bunch of guys and and hopefully can make use of that beat in whatever yeah i just think this card like i actually i think it's cool i think it's a cool commander you can totally build around this i just think that the execution on this card would have just been cleaner if it wasn't legendary like if this was just a creature in the set with storm you would have had a lot less text on this card and it would have functioned more or less the same way you know what i mean i think the idea is that it's like an ooze tribal commander for the people who have been asking for that. Um, yeah. I, like there is some benefit to running other oozes. Yeah, they, they start higher or at a higher power. Yeah, but yeah, it is it is interesting. Uh, I I do like this card uh, as much as it is pretty similar to <laughs> another one in the set. And, and unlike the other one in the set, if you have a concordant crossroads and you're food chaining off, you just win because yeah. eventually you just have enough huge oozes to just kill everyone i mean i mean there's a lot you can do from that position like the honestly the concordant crossroads just needs to be in your deck yeah because there's so many things that trigger off of you casting creature spells or creatures entering the battlefield or even like your commander going from the battle like going to the command zone from somewhere else so there's just so many effects like that that once you're storming off you can draw your entire library and then find the concordant crossroads to win it so yeah cool ooze i am prepared to read the name of this next card if you're yeah i think we should i think we should both read her full name once and then just refer to her as asmore from there on yeah most people will i so i do want to thank because i'm cheating a little bit um charlotte sable friend of the show um and and just generally friend on twitter posted a like phonetic pronunciation of this card which i am going to use um to help me along here so um so do you want do you want me to go first or do you want to go first i'll i'll go first because i don't have any training wheels okay uh, cool so, yeah i'm just gonna butcher this thing yeah go for it asmore animar dicka dice dinna all right that wasn't awful. yeah that wasn't too bad it's actually not that bad um once you're like into it it just yeah. is formidable um, so Asmorano Mar Dekai Destin Akuldakar. I think that was, yeah, that was it. Okay. We did it. What does Asmore yeah. do? So Asmore has no casting cost. There is no mana cost on this card. It is entirely name. Um, so how would you cast this spell? Well, uh, she's a 3-3 human wizard. She has, as long as you've discarded a card this turn, you may pay hybrid black red to cast this spell. So if you pitched a card, you can just pay one mana, either black or red, and you you get your commander. Uh, so what does she do? When Asmore enters the battlefield, you may search your library for a card named the Underworld Cookbook, reveal it, put it into your hand, then shuffle. 
and you can sacrifice two foods, target creature deals six damage to itself. So we can't really talk about this card without talking about the Underworld Cookbook. Do you want to read off that card? Yes, the Underworld Cookbook is a single mana for an artifact. Tap, discard a card, create a food token, and four, tap, sacrifice the Underworld Cookbook, return target creature card from your graveyard to your hand. Yeah, so this is uh, ostensibly a red-black discard commander, food commander. Um, You kind of have a secret commander in that you always have the Underworld Cookbook, Mm -hmm. which it, it... on its own is a pretty decent card. Like I can think of other decks where I would want to run the Underworld cookbook just to like make tokens. You get your commander, you could pretty easily gear your deck so that you can discard whenever you want. In that case, you're you're getting your three three down turn one, but like what do I do then? Yeah. Just sort of like looking at what this deck requires of you, here's sort of how what I'm seeing. So I mean, just in order to get it out of the command zone, you need to run a bunch of ways to discard cards. And that could mean cards with cycling. There's certainly a number of like low cost ones that aren't a huge burden to run in your deck. Uh, so that's one way to do it. You can also run many, the many cheap red rummaging spells like Thrill of Possibility yeah. and so on. So that'll get it out of your command zone. And then from there, you've like just sort of looking at this card um, or this pair of cards and like trying to see the reward. I don't think like anything the Underworld Cookbook does is like inherently great in Commander. Yeah, <laughs> a one-time raise dead, no thank you, or like converting cards into food. Like food is not that great in Commander. Uh, so really, what I see like the thing that is actually worth doing across these two cards is making a creature deal six damage to itself. Okay, that'll that'll kill a lot of things, mm-hmm. but there's very little like. Rec- Herbal or, or repeatable food generation in red black. Um, aside from the underworld cookbook, you basically have um, you have witch's oven. Yeah, and... which is the second best one and or best one depending on your your viewpoint. Yeah, so you have witch's oven, and hold on, I'm actually pulling the other list up. No, right. yeah, it's it. The list is very short, and yeah. you <laughs> basically got it right there. <laughs> okay. Uh, it's Witch's Oven and then Giant Skewer, which is something that like your opponent kind of has to cooperate with you on yeah. in order <laughs> for you to get the food. It's so, so funny. Yeah, so generating food is really, really difficult, and it's in this color identity. And I just don't think all of this effort, like, what are you discarding to create the food token with Underworld Cookbook? Like, are you discarding your Doomblade to get one half of one Asmore activation to kill a creature? Like, it just doesn't make any sense. Like you're in such a good color identity for removal anyway. Yeah. I mean, I think this everything about this design is super flavorful and you could certainly make a flavorful deck out of it, but it just doesn't feel like all the work it requires of you is worth it. Mm-hmm. I'm going to ignore the food pun you just made and and say that I do agree with you. Um uh. and that I I think what we're going to see other than just like flavorful cards because uh, a quick recap of this story of this card why is this card using food why is it black red what is going on underworld cookbook um this character basically made it like summoned a pit lord and the pit lord's like i'm gonna eat you and then she was like no i'm just gonna um how about this i'll make you a different dish every day and once you get bored you can eat me and he never got bored so she like won her freedom and then everyone in the underworld was like 
yo, this this stuff is awesome. And so she put it in the Underworld cookbook. Um, and there's more to the story than that, but that's why like these two cards are thematically combined. So I'm 100% guessing we're going to see like as more like Vorthos decks where it's like very much like telling the story like lord of the pit is there whatever stuff like that there's a lot of food cards but um yeah i i just think that when we see these decks it's not going to be people discarding doom blades it's going to be like maybe an actual madness commander you know like actually casting the madness cards that angie kind of just doesn't care <laughs> about she just cares that they are madness or like reanimation like pitching your lord of the pit <laughs> <laughs> to reanimate with some other card that's not the underworld cookbook so and then just it happens to be the case that when you discard a card when you discard your lord of the pit to underworld cookbook you get a food and every two times you do that you can blow something up so i i don't, I don't know it doesn't seem like the strongest commander to me but i i think people are okay with that yeah i i, I agree i think that the people who want to build this deck are just more excited about the flavor and it it certainly does hit on like the the hype the points of the story like the, the story beats are really well represented on these cards yeah um yeah just literally never thought i would see this card people would joke about it but but she's here yeah um this one i actually never thought we would see i had no idea what this card would do um so this I, next... I was not aware of this character at all so oh yeah so this is karth the lion they are a three five human warrior for four mana two black green and they have two abilities that they're it's a lot of words though. Whenever Karth the Lion enters the battlefield or a planeswalker you control dies, look at the top seven cards of your library. You may reveal a planeswalker card from among them, put it into your hand, and then put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. And then planeswalkers loyalty abilities you activate cost an additional plus one to activate. So what that means is that you do the actual math so if a planeswalker has a plus one it's actually a plus two if it has a minus two it's actually a minus one so it, it benefits you no matter what you're doing to, to get the obvious thing out of the way this is probably <laughs> a super friends commander right like yeah like this is a planeswalker sure. commander yeah so even if you're you're in color for doubling season and like peer and all those kind of like increased counter cards for and collects 2.0 but even if you don't have any of that a lot of planeswalkers in these colors with Karth out become turn one like plus ability, turn two ultimate. Because that plus one, like shorting the ultimate and adding to the plus just makes it happen incredibly fast. So oh, yeah. Um, Dude, you can uh like Ugin get up to ten immediately and then like activating ugin's ultimate is basically a minus nine so yeah. ugin will will like ultimate next turn and still stick around yeah it's crazy <laughs> yeah it is really really upsetting how good this is and and on top of that you're in green black so not only do you have ramp you have card draw you have like discard you have some of the best board wipes like you have a uh, spreading plague and mm -hmm. like all these like really heinous uh mana denial cards like you have everything you need to just be that guy <laughs> to just mm -hmm. be the jerk at the table playing the really oppressive planeswalker deck and and he more or less gets you one for free you know like and and if someone does happen to kill one of your garricks when they're in the middle of ulting or something you just look for another one <laughs> mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, well, now I have my Vraska. So thanks, everyone. Yeah, this seems like a really uh, neat commander. It's also like so bizarre to see the the Planeswalker loyalty ability in the text box of a card. Uh, I'm amazed that they are are really like innovating in this way. But it it seems very cool. I love that it triggers off of Planeswalkers dying. And that's also a new thing that kind of like aligns with how Planeswalkers typically interact with Commander. So yeah, very neat card. I just wish that the only thing I, I wish is that like this is not the best color identity for uh, abusing that end of the battlefield ability. No, yeah. So maybe something, so maybe like getting access to blue or white would just make it so that you can get cards off of this more easily. But I guess that's a, a small problem with a card that is overall very strong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and just so everyone kind of gets this, like a feel for like where the, the cards in the set, like Asmore, Karth the Lion, we're going to talk about a few more commanders. They're all from this like time period when, gosh, when when was this one? This was the novels Green Sleeves trilogy, which came out in this like, like mid nineties. Oh, you're, you're okay. I this think. is yeah, that's right. It's like the Legends storyline. Yeah, I can't find when it actually came out, but basically, like this set for whatever reason, there's uh, all of these characters revolve around Dak on Blackblade. I don't know why they picked the Blackblade storyline, but, like, Karth is involved in that storyline. He, like, knew a lot of Planeswalkers and, like, tricked Dakon into coming to Dominaria. So that's that's why he's here. <laughs> that's the tie-in to the story. Um, and he started the House Carthalion, which is where Jared Carthalion, our hair metal uh, sweet boy, came from in uh, in Commander Legends. So a little, little bit of story. You should look at more on your own because I can't remember <laughs> nearly as much as... I think a lot of people who are listening to this might. Oh, I just want to point out uh, one or two more things about this commander before we move on. Is that okay? Yeah, of course. Uh, so one thing I just noticed, like kind of flipping through the commanders, is that uh, Nissa or the, the Planeswalkers, rather, Nissa Vital Force immediately pops and gets her Landfall Draw card emblem. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's pretty cool. And also just looking at the hypergeometric calculator, um, like seven cards is pretty deep. If you've got twenty-seven uh, planeswalkers in your deck, you're going to have a ninety percent hit rate. And if you have twenty planeswalkers in your deck, you're going to have an eighty percent hit rate. So Ooh. just keep that in mind when building your deck. Yeah, that's that's pretty pretty good. <laughs> I guess let's move on to another commander. I never thought we would ever see. Should I read this guy? Yeah, go for it. So this is Chatterfang Squirrel General. So Chatterfang is a 3-3 Squirrel Warrior for 2 and a green, so a 3-3 for 3. They have Forest Walk, and if one or more tokens would be created under your control, those tokens plus that many 1-1 green Squirrel Creature tokens are created instead. And they have Black Sacrifice X Squirrels, target creature gets plus X minus X until end of turn. So this is the perfect Squirrel Commander, right? We're, <laughs> this is lots of Squirrels. No. <laughs> yeah, this is just it anything that is good in green black, anything that makes tokens in green black. Like your Avenger of Zendikar has never looked as good as when Chatterfang is on the battlefield, right? Like yeah. it, it just rewards you for playing the best green and black cards <laughs> that you were already doing. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, that said, he's very strong, you know? Yeah, it's definitely pretty good. There's some neat combos. Uh, it's neat. One thing that's pretty cool is um, that it triggers even if non-creature spells are being, or non-creature tokens are being created. So, for example, if you happen to have a Pitiless Plunderer, uh, Pitiless Plunderer is a creature that says whenever a creature you control dies, create a treasure token. So basically, if any creature dies, any of your creatures dies, Pitiless Plunderer is going to make a treasure. Then Chatterfang is going to make a squirrel. Uh, you can then sack that squirrel to a sack outlet, and then uh, you're going to get another treasure. So you get infinite treasures. It's pretty good. You get infinite of whatever your sack outlet generates. It's just a pretty sweet combo in a mm-hmm. deck that's already got a lot of strong cards. Couldn't you just do that with Chatterfang's own ability? Because you could, like, let's say you get a treasure, you get a squirrel. And let's say you have, like, three squirrels, right? Or, like, two squirrels. Mm-hmm. So you, like, pay X. You, you just play pay black and sack some squirrels, which gives you that many treasures. Which then you pay black and sack some squirrels and get that many treasures. Because it always refunds you as long as you have a target, right? Am I Am I tripping? Like, you'd have to have a target... And you'd have to have some squirrels to start, I think. But mm-hmm. I think you can just go off with just Chatterfang and a bunch of squirrels to sack. And pl- and pitiless plunder. And yeah, and pitiless plunder. I think I think you you like don't need as many requirements. I think you're right. Uh, I think that would work. It would. It's basically like kill all of your opponent's creatures. Yeah. At that point, yeah. Yeah. Pretty solid. Yeah, that's not that's not bad. <laughs> that's a yeah. uh, pretty good for just playing a pitiless plunder which i would do anyway <laughs> mm-hmm. speaking of a um, bunch of black green commanders do you want to keep on moving anything else you want to say before we move on nope uh i think Chatterfang is neat i know a lot of people are going to use it as a squirrel commander but that's definitely not the only way you can build it and it's probably not the best just because you know there's only so many efficient ways to generate squirrel tokens but there's a lot of efficient ways to jo- to generate any kind of token yep yeah 100 percent. which brings us to like i said the, ne- the next black green commander which they are changing the rules to enable yeah let, um, let me read this one off uh, yeah. this is grist the hunger tide one black green for a three loyalty legendary planeswalker grist as long as grist the hunger tide isn't on the battlefield it's a one one insect creature in addition to its other types so this is a, uh, I believe it's called a characteristic defining ability. Is that right? Yes. Uh, basically, the they are changing the rules such that these types of abilities function not only like while the card is like in your library or in your hand, but also before the game. So you can use this ability to uh, basically play Grist as your commander because you know while it's in the command zone, it's a legendary planeswalker creature insect grist so it is playable as your commander as a result and it has some loyalty abilities it has plus one create a one one black and green insect creature token then mill a card if an insect card was milled this way put a loyalty counter on grist and repeat this process minus two you may sacrifice a creature when you do destroy target creature or planeswalker and minus five each opponent loses life equal to the number of creature cards in your graveyard what are your thoughts on this card? So I am actually pretty happy that they put that ability on there. I think that it's actually pretty cool to have like this card is a 1-1 insect like in other zones. It just means that it's 
pretty abusable with a lot of things that I'll kind of get to as we keep talking about him. But the fact that he can be your commander now because of this, this like rules change meant that my first inclination was probably a lot of people's first inclination. I'm like, oh, cool. Insect boy. Like, let's look at the insects and let's see what's there. And when you dig into the like vein that is what insects exist in commander, it's not a pretty thing. And that's not because it's a bunch of bugs. There's just not a lot of oomph there, but you could do it. There's a, there's enough powerful cards to where I think you could get rewarded for doing that in some minor way. And some cards actively work with Christ. So in particular, Glean Crawler, which is a six mana, six, six trample. It has a trigger where at the end of your turn, you return to your hand all creature cards in your graveyard that were put there this turn. Well, by the time that trigger resolves, if Christ is in your graveyard, you just get them back so because he's just sitting there as a one one bug so there's little things like that that are cute that are like bug synergies uh but overall the bug synergies kind of end there <laughs> you know yeah i i mean it's cute that like he benefits you for running insects but there just aren't that many good insects like like First off, I mean, there's a handful of of decent insects like Scoot Swarm. Sure makes yeah. a lot of guys, uh, and like Caustic Caterpillar. Okay, you can just it's like a naturalize that sticks around on the board. That's not a huge burden to run. But like so much of the power of insects is like concentrated in token generation and like token generation spells. So like so many of like the cards that make insects are not themselves insects. So. I don't know. It's not. Um, it doesn't really get you to run all the cards that really flood the board with insects. You know what I'm saying? Yes. No, I, I completely agree. So that kind of leads me to believe that this is kind of just like a Golgari, good stuffy, mill yourself list more where it's like pretty easy to get your commander back because there are just a ton of ways where you can kind of like mill yourself in green black there's a ton of ways to like abuse the minus two and the minus five i think this is kind of just like a control list that mills itself and it can use a bunch of different things to get christ back once you've like abused the minus two and the minus five a bunch of times to try and win the game so palace siege uh you can pick uh to get creatures back every turn and you just always have him in your hand Whisper can like turn the bugs he makes into reanimation for himself, which is pretty funny. Cauldron of Eternity, if you're milling yourself, not only gets back your commander, but also gets back whatever else you mill. So there it's it's pretty trivial to get Christ either back to hand or onto the battlefield. Coffin Queen can do it. Yeah, others. I was thinking like um Phyrexian Reclamation. Yeah, Phyrexian Reclamation is a great one. Like there's just a lot, there's a lot of things. Mm-hmm. So that's cool, but I just kind of see it as like a once per turn attrition uh, that like you can recur if someone manages to kill it, I guess. Or like, yeah, maybe like a Garza's assassin or a what's that Phyrexian minion that that just got reprinted Um, or like a bone shredder. It's kind of like a bone shredder. That's in your command zone. That's kind of how I see it. Yeah, I mean, actually, that that actually is probably the best way to put it, because I, I think in less words than I was using, that's what I was trying to describe. Like, 
you just you have a good black green list and you have a bone shredder <laughs> at your disposal and um you can get it back pretty easy so not like the most exciting commander even though it is playing in a really strange space for mm-hmm. like a planeswalker it's still kind of just a just some light value you know like nothing yeah. nothing crazy let's move on to the next commander do you want to read this guy sure um so this it, <laughs> this one is kind of crazy so this is lonus cryptozoologist they are a one two snake elf scout for green blue so just two mana Whenever another non-token creature enters the battlefield under your control, investigate. So investigate as you create a clue token. And it has tap, sacrifice, X clues. Target opponent reveals the top X cards of their library. You may put a non-land permanent card with mana value X or less from among them onto the battlefield under your control. That player puts the rest on the bottom of their library in a random order. So we're all, we're just farming clues for that second ability, right? We're just... (laughs) That's all I'm going to do. No, this actually <laughs> goes off the rails. Like a friend did some testing with this actually, literally last night, the night before we were recording this. And I could not believe how many clues just appear <laughs> mm-hmm. on the board. It is, it's incredible. It's insane. Can, can I throw out a couple of my p- favorite pieces of tech? Yeah, please do. Mechanized production was one that our friend Mark mentioned uh it's mm-hmm. two blue blue for an enchantment aura enchant artifact you control at the beginning of your upkeep create a token that's a copy of enchanted artifact then if you control eight or more artifacts with the same name as one another you win the game <laughs> so it's so easy to get uh eight clues in yeah. this deck uh and so that's just easy win the game also yeah, like crazy the, yeah the things that um allow you allow you to use your clues to generate resources are also really sweet I'm a big fan of Urza in this deck. Oh, Ur- Urza is insane in this list. Yeah, like allowing you to tap your clues to add blue mana. That's super sick. Um, in a similar vein, there's also Inspiring Statuary, a uh, three-cost artifact. Non-artifact spells you cast have Improvise. So basically, it allows you to tap your clues to pay for your non-artifact spells. But really, there's... Uh, oh, and, and finally, I got to mention Shimmer Dragon. Basically, Shimmer Dragon allows you to tap two untapped artifacts you control to draw a card. So very, very powerful card. What what are you liking about this list? What are your favorite things? You got to see it in action, unlike me. Yeah, um, it, it went really crazy. So Shimmer Dragon is a card where like I when we saw it originally, like doing this, the review for that, we were like, oh, this just seems really clunky. And yet in this list, like just because you the sheer volume of clues and and tokens that you can make it just goes like off the rails so quickly there's actually some um some cards in this set that we'll talk about that were like just insane (laughs) in this list too that just like that tripled your value basically or uh just exploded or like were able to just kill everybody at once um so I'll I'll bring those up when we talk about them later. But like Adrix and Nev, Twincasters, they're the the recent commanders from the C twenty one list. The they're the Quandrix face card. They just double command uh, tokens that you make. Uh, just insane. Not only do they give you a clue, they give you two, and everything else gives you two. We already mentioned Urza. Urza just completely took over the game. It just out of nowhere, just everything was 
just clues and and artifacts and then KCI came down so Kirk Clan Ironworks is sacrifice an artifact make two mana and it was over at that point <laughs> you know like there's not really too much more you can do so you have all of the parallel lives doubling seasons you have you have all these like blue artifact interactions it is a blast like this this deck is is so cool and and plays in a space that I just don't did not expect very cool commander and moving on to the next one who is also a pretty interesting one General Ferris Rokerik, one red white for a legendary creature human soldier. It's a 3-1 and has hexproof from monocolored. And whenever you cast a multicolored spell, create a 4-4 red and white golem artifact creature token. This is a pretty goofy list and it's going to have you running some some really weird cards, but it seems like it's, lar- I mean, the because it produces four fours at a really good rate, uh, it's probably going to be an aggressive deck. And just a lot of the best multicolor cards in this color identity happen to be things that support an aggressive strategy. Like Waves of Aggression is naturally very good here. Uh, Blade Historian, giving your guys double strike. Jorkadine, the Prevailer, it's super easy to get Metalcraft when you're pumping out these golems. So it just gives all your guys plus three plus oh. Um, and like Aurelia, the war leader, giving you an extra combat step with your enormous skies. There's just a lot of things that really contribute to an aggressive strategy early in the game. Yeah, this this is, um, I would say, the classic Boros. Like, my hand is on the battlefield. Can you deal with it? I was actually kind of amazed. I figured just looking at him that it would be the case that I didn't want to just play all of the red-white spells. But actually, there's so many red-white spells that are actually just good <laughs> nowadays. Mm. Like you're for every like make your mark that exists, there's also a uh, Drugar Hedge Mage or like a Double Cleave or a Chance for Glory or something like that. You know, like Boros Charm. There's enough like two color spells, especially like two mana ones that um like a sky terror which is just a 2-2 flying menace for red white that's not like saying much but a sky terror a 2-2 flying menace and a 4-4 that's actually that's worth two mana so it really subsidizes the fact that you're playing like two twos for two or like two two vigilances for two or like 10th district legionnaires like two two haste for two by giving you these four fours and because of that, I'd be inclined to run a lot of like the Teferi's protections, the Boros charms, all the things that like protect my board because mm-hmm. I'm just going to drop everything. And if I get wrath, uh, <laughs> that's <laughs> it, you know, like I'm probably never coming back. The two cards that like I'm I want to try with this list because I haven't really gotten to play with them yet. Um, I want to try with Loshiel which is uh, one of the mono-white commanders from C21. It's whenever an artifact enters the battlefield for the first time on your turn, you draw a card. So that turns all of these like janky 2-2s into a 4-4 and a card, which seems that seems pretty worth it. Um, and Trading Post. Trading Post loves when there's artifact creatures running around. So those are two things I wanted to give a shot when I am try building this guy too to see if it all works out. Yeah, I would really love to see. I think that like right now, because you don't have a really deep, uh, uh, you you don't have a really deep field of like 
red white multicolor cards to to play with you're definitely running some some goofier things so i'd i'd love to just sort of see how this deck evolves as the color identity gets more like you know multicolor cheap removal spells uh things like that that where you're like actually you know trading for your opponent's cards you're getting ahead on board uh, rather than just playing like Ceridon yearling which is not a card you're super excited to run in commander yeah <laughs> i don't think i've ever looked at a Ceridon yearling which is a 2-2 vigilance haste for red white and gun dang want to play me that card <laughs> yeah exactly all right moving on to the next commander this is another red white commander uh <laughs> ostensibly <laughs> ostensibly uh go ahead and read this off for us so this is zabaz the glimmer wasp they are a zero zero for one mana, just one generic. They're an insect, legendary artifact creature insect, but they have modular one, so they don't just die immediately. And what modular is, is it enters the battlefield with that many plus one plus one counters. And when the creature dies, you can put those plus one plus one counters on another artifact creature you control. So it has modular one. <laughs> this is worded so terribly. If a modular triggered ability would put one or more plus one plus one counters on a creature you control, that many plus one, plus one, plus one counters are put on it instead. So you get an additional plus one, plus one counter on that creature. Um, but wait, there's more. It has red, destroy target artifact you control. And white, Zabaz the Glimmer Wasp gains flying until end of turn. <laughs> Who wanted this card? This is such a clunky design. This yeah. Is, doesn't make any sense. Like... There are literally only 16 other creatures with modular in in commander. It's just, so it just yeah, it's not a lot. Yeah, it just seems like really really hard to make this happen. You could go multiple games and like just not see any modular creatures. And also like some of those modular creatures like a good chunk of them, I think like a third of them cost like 6 plus mana or 5 plus mana. So it just <laughs> You know, it's just not something you can really do anything with until later in the game. And I just don't really see the point of this commander when, like, we just got Hamza, Arashin, whatever, in Commander Legends. And that's actually a really, really good modular commander. Like, you want to run every single artifact creature that enters a battlefield with plus one plus one counters on it in that deck because that's, like, perfectly aligned with what Hamza is rewarding. This reward that Zabaz gives you for committing to um, to modular creatures is just so small. I get a single plus one plus one counter versus like, oh, I'm you know Hamza is casting these six cost creatures, but for free, yeah. like drawing <laughs> cards off of his guardian project while he does it. Yeah, the activated abilities are literally just there so that you have colors. Like they're both complete garbage. Like I'm not gonna suit up my Zabaz and try and give it flying and get in there and like i would much rather just run a cart clan ironworks than pay red to destroy <laughs> yeah i would rather net two i would rather net two mana off the of sacrificing my artifacts than go down a mana I, I yeah agree. exactly <laughs> yeah just like does not <laughs> does not make sense so this is a complete and total miss i, I think this just didn't need to exist yep which I agree. gets us to the next card which is definitely not a miss but is uh not something I ever expected <laughs> to see. So um, I guess should I read him and you get into it? Yeah, go for it. All right. So this is Piru the Volatile, uh, a 7-7 legendary creature elder dragon. 
for eight mana, two red, red, white, white, black, black. They have flying and lifelink. At the beginning of your upkeep, sacrifice Piru the volatile unless you pay red, white, black. And when Piru the dies, it deals seven damage to each non-legendary creature. So, um, I do want to make a note that when it dies, it's still lifelink damage. Mm -hmm. So, all of the non-legendary creatures, all those Chatterfang squirrels that they just made, uh, each take seven damage and you gain seven life for each of them. So, you can gain a lot of life. (laughs) Yeah, it seems like like, uh, on a decent board, this would just put you beyond the the reach of mere mortals almost immediately. And it better, honestly, for like eight men. <laughs> I would expect nothing less than like absurdity, you know? I I honestly think it's like probably better to try to like just search out Netherborn Altar every single game or like Command Beacon every single game and just like get it into your hand, discard it, reanimate it, sacrifice it, and like keep reanimating it and sacrificing it. That honestly like seems like it might be a getter better game plan than trying to ramp to eight mana in your your non-green deck yeah what do you think no i i agree i think that also is pretty fun um it's just your deck trying to get to eight mana and mardu is just not uh not <laughs> super feasible you're you're just gonna let a lot of the game go by as you um kind of twiddle your fingers and and hope to draw the next mana rock that you need, or the what's the compass from from uh, Ixalan block that gets you a land? Thematic compass. Yeah, or thematic compass, or something like that, right? Like it's just oh, the, not I think that's lot. only basic land. Sorry. Yeah. Well, even though it's basic land, it's still like hitting your land drop every turn oh, for yeah, a sure, while, sure. right? You know. Yeah, yeah. I got so it. like, it, it just that part doesn't seem good. The fact that your life total goes off the rails is pretty good. But I don't think you're gonna just attack with a seven seven lifelink three times. Like this was definitely made to be in line with the old like original Elder Dragons, but like for the new era of Commander and and Piru was dating Chromium in the storyline, so like mm-hmm. that makes sense. But I salute you if you're building a Piru the Volatile list because that's a it seems like a a chore. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. I think it's pretty sweet. I might end up building this like. Oh, cool. There, you know, if you get like a sanguine bond into play, then it will like immediately kill somebody when Piru dies. It it seems like you know it's also like a good commander for test of endurance. It, it just seems like the the routes to victory are are many when you have just a billion life to play with. Mm. Yeah the the mini game is just how do you how do you get there right? Like yeah. it's like how do we get Piru out the first time? <laughs> Because <laughs> after that, it's all gravy, right? Like, there's reanimation. There's so many things you can do to get him back, but that's that first hurdle. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, I, I actually do really like this design. It's it's really cool. And um, this ties back into the the uh, Dacon storyline. Moving on to the last legendary creature we're going to talk about this week. This is Garth One-Eye. It is white, blue, black, red, green for a 5-5 legendary creature human wizard. And it has tap, choose a card name that hasn't been chosen from among Disenchant, Brain Geyser, Terror, Shivan Dragon, Regrowth, and Black Lotus. Create a copy of the card with the chosen name. You may cast the copy. What are your thoughts on this card? This is a, a pretty wild one. Yeah, this looks like it came straight out of like 
MTG custom card creation, mm-hmm. right? Like, just completely buck wild. <laughs> I, uh, I don't know actually how I feel about this card because I've been thinking about it a lot. Because I'm not sure if I love or hate the fact that Black Lotus is there. Because without Black Lotus, it's just casting five different like iconic alpha cards, mm-hmm. right? All of the cards that Garth lets you cast are great, and he does only let you cast them, right? Like you're not actually like getting a free Shiv and Dragon. You you can spend six mana to get your Shiv That's and Dragon, correct. right? Um. So, all that said, uh, the Black Lotus is the thing about this that like kind of puts me off of it because it's cool that Garth makes a Black Lotus, but it just means that like you just blink Garth and have haste and. You have infinite mana, and it's really easy to do that in five colors. You you have everything you'll ever possibly need at your disposal. So that is this kind of a bummer to me. Just like, oh good, another five color combo <laughs> <laughs> commander. Um it just seems like they keep doing that. Um, and I don't know how to feel about it. Yeah, I think we've gotten enough five color commanders to last us for a, a very good long while. Yeah. And like the, the idea behind this card is like pretty bizarre. It was essentially designed with the intent of like allowing you to make a commander deck that was entirely spells in alpha. So like that isn't really, that doesn't seem like a, an archetype that needs to exist. It's not something that's yeah. like, really incentivized by any card even garth one eye like i i think that designs that actually like encourage you to build uh, a new way a new unique way are more like mechanically encourage you uh, are a bit more interesting and like better for the format because i don't think that that's how people are going to be building garth one eye as you said it is just another five color combo commander where you're looking for some sort of haste scanner and then tutoring out your dead eye navigator and then you have infinite mana and also like a kill condition with like brain geyser yeah so i i yeah that's how i feel too it's like there's a format called old school so uh in old school every card in your deck has to come from 1993 or four and uh it is a fun format um i have i've seen games played i have not played any myself it seems really cool. You're getting to play with incredibly iconic cards, and the meta is like very different from pretty much every other format that exists, but it's not a very ubiquitous, I guess is the <laughs> word I'm looking for format because um, a majority of Magic players have not been playing since Alpha, you know? In fact, most Magic players haven't been playing since Alpha at this point. It's pretty rare to have dinosaurs even playing from as long ago as like ice age or something right like that that's even rare in the community nowadays Mm -hmm. so it really seems to me like what's going to happen is people are going to latch on to the black lotus which is the cool splashy card that most people are never going to own that they're finally going to get to play in commander kind of you know and it's just kind of a a bummer i don't know it's uh, i've been really something to say like we're already what like an hour into this podcast and we finally got through all the the legendary cards and we still have a a bunch of (laughs) non-legendary cards. 30 pages Um, of show notes to go through (laughs) yeah exactly and we'll it's they're not we're not because we don't have whole decks to talk about with all the other cards so it's gonna be faster something about like the legend explosion is that it actually is making the format feel 
to me, and I've said this before on the podcast, a lot like it used to 10 plus years ago because used to be able to sit down and be like, oh, what the hell is that commander? What does that do? And it was kind of like there's this feeling of like exploring of like brewer's paradise. You could sit down and um, bring something no one has ever seen to the table and everyone had a really good time that night. And that kind of went away as people kind of realized that like soul tie slash five color good stuff was just the best deck in the format. And one of the things that the legend explosion where we just get like 10 to 30 legends a set has done is that it's distracted people from the fact that five color good stuff combo is the best deck in the format. <laughs> and so whenever we get another one with like a Garth, it, I'm a little bit bummed out because it just means that we're like one step closer to homogenization of of the format of games that people are playing. And uh, that worries me because that, in my opinion, is the only thing that will kill Commander is just uh, people getting bored. Yeah. <laughs> so that's it. That's my high horse. I'm going to get off now. All right. Well, with that, uh, I don't have too much more to say about the legends, just that like you know, it's. I think it's fantastic that they are trying to make at least. It appears that they are trying to make at least one commander for each draft archetype, so that you can, yeah, um, really build a deck and like also have the support for it. That seems very cool. Not all of them are hits because you know some of these definitely appear to be more uh, geared for modern. That's that's fine. There's there's still some bangers among what we've seen so far, and of course we've got like you know another half a week or so of spoilers to to get some other exciting commander cards yeah and and honestly like even though not all of them are are complete hits they're hits enough you know like i'm not like super excited about like grist but um i think enough people are excited about the gimmick that they're gonna build grist you know um so just stuff like that. So I, I'm I'm happy with what we're getting. This is this is um it's cool, it's interesting. They're not like crazy powerful, but they're powerful enough to play with your friends, and that's all I could ask for, you know? Mm-hmm. And with that, uh we'll get into uh I, I think we got one planeswalker to talk about this yes. week. Uh so this is Gaeadrone Dihada. It is one blue, black, red, and of course correct my pronunciation if I'm totally butchering this. No, I, th- I think you did okay. pretty good. Uh, one blue, black, red for a four loyalty legendary planeswalker Dihada. It has the static ability, protection from permanence with corruption counters on them, and plus one, each opponent loses two life and you gain two life. Put a corruption counter on up to one other target creature or planeswalker. Minus three, gain control of target creature or planeswalker until end of turn. Untap it and put a corruption counter on it. It gains haste until end of turn. And minus seven, gain control of each permanent with a corruption counter on it. What are your thoughts on this card? Yeah, I actually, in some ways, couldn't believe this exists for two reasons. Like, one, from a story point, it's just no one like no one knows the Dekon story that well anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, if you didn't buy the comics this, like 25 years ago, you're kind of out of luck. Yeah, if you didn't read the novels from like 95 or 94 or whatever, like you're not going to know who these characters are. And uh, Dihada is... The, basically the arch nemesis of Dakon. Um, she was trying to like in a Nicol Bolas fashion like gain more power through like stealing the powers of other planeswalkers. The shortest version of the story I'll say here is that she like tricked Karth the Lion to getting Dakon to come to Dominaria and then like trapping him there so that he would join her like legion of planeswalkers and then eventually he like 
gets out and she kind of tricks him into fighting Piru with the Black Blade, kills Piru, and then she absorbs Piru's power and like becomes super powerful. I I think that's roughly the whole story point. Someone can yell at me on the internet about how wrong I am or right, because this is like mostly from memory. Um and so that being said, like that's kind of what's going on here with the card. So the the flavor of the card is that like um she can kind of trap you into these like corrupted pack thingies um which is really cool and there's going to be some games where you just they play her and the board can very easily take care of her and there's going to be some games where like a wrath just happened and then she comes down and uh plus ones and puts a counter on the only thing that could have killed her and plus ones and puts a counter on the next thing that could have killed her and just will be completely and utterly oppressive so i am kind of amazed this card exists um it's going to make some games really unfun, <laughs> honestly, where everyone is like, we need to kill this Planeswalker and literally cannot. Um, but thats I don't think that's going to happen too often. Um, and that's all I have to say. I don't really know where I would put her other than a Super Friends list. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Um, like, it's certainly like novel design space for a Planeswalker. But yeah. also, I just like, so don't care about like anything <laughs> this this commander yeah. or this planeswalker is doing like the plus one just like draining two life at a time once per turn is not really a compelling reason to put a planeswalker in my deck and and like threaten is fine but it's still like <laughs> not really what i want out of my or my my planeswalker that i'm putting in my deck like the minus 7 is is definitely sick like by that point by the time you get there you'll have put probably at least you know even with proliferation i'll probably have a couple corruption counters on things so you get to steal stuff but it's i don't i don't, I don't know i just don't yeah it, it's just like uh, a lot of level, like spinning your wheels yeah on the surface level she's basically just an insurrection that uh you have to work for which is like not the best if you look at it like that i think the layer deeper that like people are going to latch on to is like the psychological warfare <laughs> that she's gonna deal she's just gonna deal psychic damage to people when they're like seven seven can't attack her or like doesn't it doesn't matter if they're seven seven attacks her because it's like corrupted and um i don't know how good that is i'm gonna have to see this played to to figure out if that's worth it. So if you're playing with it and this does good things or bad things, please let us know. Cause like at this point um, I'm kind of on Nick's side where it's like, this seems like a bad insurrection, mm -hmm. you know, like it just, it seems like an insurrection, but like dripping with flavor <laughs> instead of just efficiency, you know? Yeah. And yeah. So now we're, we're into regular main deck cards, no planeswalkers, no commanders. Okay. I'll start off with abiding grace. This is two and a white for an enchantment at the beginning of your end step. Choose one. You gain one life or return target reader card with mana value one from your graveyard to the battlefield. This is pretty attractive to me. Um, oh, I think yeah. there are some decks out there that are running like Kami of False Hope, Children of Corliss, Martyr of Sands. Like specifically, I think there's a lot of Luris decks that are trying to do that type of gameplay. Um, and this is just like another reanimation engine for your like combat wrecking little one drop dorks mm -hmm. yeah it, it really 
takes a lot of these cards, even like Hope of Girapur, which like I've been amazed at how much it can just like mess with someone's whole game plan and turns it into just this recurrable disruption engine. And I love it. That That's awesome. So I, I'm really excited about this card and this card's existence. I already have a few decks I'm going to want to put it in. Yeah. And, and stop me if this doesn't seem accurate, but it appears to me that we're getting like a lot more end step triggers than upkeep triggers lately or, or maybe not more but just it's it's becoming more frequent that things that would normally have been an end step trigger are becoming an, or would normally have been an upkeep trigger are becoming end step triggers yeah I, I agree with that this has been like a i feel like since like a little before hour of devastation but definitely during hour of devastation was when they really started pushing that where like things that like 10 years ago we would have gotten on the upkeep were end step triggers and uh it just feels feels good man yeah you know like that's that's great yeah i love it hope we Um, see more of this just cards that kind of get immediate value and especially for something like this a reanimation effect where like the difference between for for some things the different between the difference between like your end step and your next upkeep is not huge but for reanimation like being able to potentially like activate a weathered wayfarer or something is big game unlike this next card <laughs> which uh sometimes we bring I'll up cards just because we want to dunk on them so yeah go right ahead yeah yeah that is exactly what this is this is more yeah this is a, a lesson hopefully break ties is an instant for three mana or it is two and a white it has choose one destroy target artifact destroy target enchantment or exile target card from a graveyard it also has reinforce one for one white and reinforce is um, it's like cycling, but instead of drawing a card, you get the number of plus one plus one counters on a creature. So for one white, you can pitch this to put a plus one plus one counter on a creature. This this looks pretty uh, pretty similar to another card we got. Yeah. Right? Um, uh, so uh, for those of you who remember Return to Nature, it's like the new common green naturalized variant that is kind of getting reprinted all the time. It was in M twenty one. It was in. Um, <laughs> I think it was in Kaldheim. It was also it was in yeah, Kaldheim, it was also yeah. in War of the Spark. Um, so it's basically this same card uh, for one less mana and doesn't have reinforce, which you know is not probably like one of the weaker modes on this card. So yeah, it's just really really unfortunate that like green continues to get a lot of naturalized variants and white can't get a decent disenchant variant to save its life. I don't understand why they do this like. I was modern so screwed by a disenchant a naturalized yeah. variant that also can be a plus one plus one counter that it really needed to be three mana like is that the world that we were living in <laughs> I, I don't think so yeah I know very so, silly whatever but yeah we can move on to a card that you can do cool stuff yes. with uh, this is constable of the realm four and a white for a three three creature giant soldier it has renown two. So when this creature deals combat damage to a player, if it isn't renowned, put two plus one plus one counters on it and it becomes renowned. And then whenever one or more plus one plus one counters are put on Constable of the Realm, exile up to one other target non-land permanent until Constable of the Realm leaves the battlefield. So naturally, this is very good in decks like Heliod, Lathiel, Marath, Gave, uh, or just really any commander that can repeatedly put counters on the Constable for a little investment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't really have much to add to that. I think that it is kind of cool that this card exists, and um, 
and yeah, we'll probably give it a shot at some point in time. All right. Uh, tell us about this next guy. Yeah, so this is Esper Sentinel. This is a 1-1 artifact creature, human soldier for white, just one white mana. Whenever an opponent casts their first non-creature spell each turn, draw a card unless that player pays X, where X is Esper Sentinel's power. I'm going to say this. I think this is probably a new mono-white staple. Mm -hmm. It hits a lot of different axes that a lot of decks are looking at. It's a little guy. It's a 1-1 for 1. So uh, you can get it back with Abiding Grace, you know, nudge, nudge. Um, it's an artifact, so it works with artifact lists. It's a tax. Um, you can make the tax bigger, so it fits into like plus one, plus one counter lists or just like having anthems or something like that. It can be searched for multiple ways. There's a uh, Ranger Captain of Eos, Ranger of Eos. Um, if you're in a color that can suit it for artifacts, you can get it there. It can be reanimated easily because it's both a cheap artifact and a cheap creature it probably will draw you a card or two for your trouble of just paying a white mana that there's going to be turns where people are just like yeah whatever like if if rhystic study doesn't bug people i can't really imagine this guy's gonna bug people all the time so i i just seem it seems to me like this is just gonna be worth it yeah and it seems pretty much impossible for it to not like trade up in mana or cards like you know, people definitely hate Rhystic Study, but they also have a trouble killing it because so few colors have access to good enchantment removal. This is definitely a lot easier to kill, but, you know, you're only going to commit a single mana to it, and your opponent has to spend at least two mana or give you a card in order to answer it. So, like, mm -hmm. any exchange is going to be... So even if they answer it immediately, like, yeah, it'll be a one-for-one -one exchange and the other two players, blah, 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 blah. But it's you're still going to be like up on resources relative to whoever is answering it, and if they don't, if it does not get answered immediately, you're right. It is probably going to draw a couple of cards for a single mana, which in white is fantastic. That's great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this isn't like I'm going to jam this into every like Esper list or something that I'm playing. I just have better card draw like options but like in mono white or like a white x list i i'm probably just gonna play this guy and it's probably gonna be pretty rad yeah i'm i'm very hyped on this guy i can't wait to pick up a couple copies mm -hmm. i i hope they're cheap uh, they will not be <laughs> um <laughs> um so this next card is called late to dinner and i i'm a pretty big fan of both the card and the art it is a white sorcery. It costs three and a white, and it has return target creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield. Create a food token. Um, so why am I a fan of this card? Well, I happen to have a Neombe 2.0 reanimator list, mm. <laughs> and uh, that deck needs some good, efficient reanimations, and uh, there's not too many. of. There's enough to make the deck work, but, you know, a, a zombify and white for four mana and i get a food out of it that seems pretty cool yeah i think that deck is definitely running like some suboptimal stuff uh and I, it probably is like a little painful to to put all those together because i think like isn't one of the cards like from portal three kingdoms one of the like breath of life variants yeah. and it has never been reprinted yep. <laughs> yeah so that that list can be difficult to put together if you're trying to put the most efficient 
want your animation in it, but um, but more options like this. Yeah, this is uh, make it a little bit easier. Oh yeah, and it's a common, so it'll be very very cheap to pick up. So um, yeah, I'm a huge fan of this card. I like when white gets reanimation because technically it's supposed to have it, and they just don't ever print it. So so cool. Oh, the the other thing, the other deck I was thinking about this in is just because I've been thinking about that commander a lot is Lotiel. Um, the elephant that draws your card when you play an artifact creature, that deck kind of gets to run the big donks that are like really cool that other decks don't really get to do. So like blade grift prototype and, and just big artifact creatures. And, uh, that's, this seems like a good, like spell for that deck because there aren't that many ways to get back big artifacts in mono white. Um, so, yeah, that was something something I was thinking about. All right, next card is something that is probably a, a little bit broader in its application. Um, yeah. <laughs> this is Out of Time. One white white for an enchantment. When it enters the battlefield, untap all creatures, then phase them out until Out of Time leaves the battlefield. Put a time counter on Out of Time for each creature phased out this way, and it has Vanishing, which means that at the beginning of your upkeep, remove a time cu- counter from this enchantment, when the last is removed, sacrifice it. What are your thoughts on this card? So I'm going to posit this, but I want you to to let me let you can let me down hard if it's not true. But this this seems like one of the best wraths we've ever gotten. <laughs> Am I wrong about that? Like this seems really good. I I like it a lot. It's certainly very efficient. Um, you know the. F- the fact that it can be undone is like a little bit scary. Um, mm-hmm. But of course, there's not that many colors that can effectively do that. You know, it's really just white and green that can answer enchantments right now. Yeah, like effectively. Yeah, yeah. like black has one good card that can do it, but that's not that's not really anything. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I I like that it has additional synergies with it. Like you can proliferate it um you can if you have like an enchantress list this is probably the wrath you might consider running um yeah so there's a lot to recommend it um and also just like you know if you hit five creatures or something that's effectively a wrath i know it says vanishing on there but games and commanders don't go that long if you cast this on turn six and it gets six counters like the game will end before those creatures uh, return from Zalfir. Yeah, and it just it it seems like phasing is like so brutal because it you can't recast your commander if your commander gets hit by oh, this. Oh yeah, that's like a if you don't have a sack point, outlet. Yeah. Like like it's it seems like the upsides are there, and like let's say you cast this and then the game goes on, people play more creatures, and you like flicker this. So all of a sudden, maybe it had four vanishing counters on it, and now all of a sudden there's eight vanishing counters on it. Mm-hmm. Like that's absolutely never coming back unless someone blows it yeah. up. So it it seems very very good to me. But personally, like I'm uh, super afraid of like risk. I think I would put the Day of Judgment in first unless I could specifically like get some other benefit off of this like you know it's an enchantment mm-hmm. so i can get it back with my hall of heliod's generosity or something like that yeah yeah i feel that um okay yeah because i i'm just i'm pr- as you can hear I'm, I'm pretty high on this yeah. card so i'm 
wanted to temper my expectations a little yeah bit. i mean i think it's it's very good i you know i'm risk averse so i'm i'm a little wary of uh of running it but you know there's going to be games where i just needed to wipe the board and had only three mana and i'm going to be punished for not running it for sure yeah <laughs> yeah um speaking of risk aversion um this next card uh this is a bad segue but this is sarah's emissary a seven seven uh, angel for seven mana for white 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 it has flying as it enters the battlefield you choose a card type and you and creatures you control have protection from the chosen card type. Um, so I actually keep going kind of back and forth on this because the you part, the you and creatures you mm-hmm. control have protection from the chosen type. Uh, when I first read the card, I thought it only gave your creatures protection from the thing, which I'm like, oh, that doesn't stop wraths. Um, so you're probably just going to pick creatures so that like you don't get hit by creatures too good and your creatures are unblockable um and honestly i actually think that's better than i gave it credit for at first there's going to be times when you pick like planeswalkers or like artifacts against super friends or artifact lists but i don't know where i'm gonna put this like what 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 decks do i want to put this in over like an acroma's memorial or something like that yeah it just seems like so hard to cover all your bases like you know choosing protection from creatures is neat so that your guys are unblockable and you don't take damage from creatures but you know your opponents are going to be running kill spells and stuff and then yeah you choose protection (laughs) from instance like okay yeah that'll stop this specific card from getting removed by like spot removal spells but you're right. A wrath can just still take you out. So it's all, it's like just very defensive, which is not what I want out of my seven drop creatures. Um, yeah. There's some like more proactive things you can do in the right list. Like I was thinking, you know, in a red X list, you could maybe choose protection from sorceries and then mm, yeah. run like earthquake effects. But like the fact that someone could just doomblade this in response and then you lose your entire board. Yeah. Terrifying. Uh and, and like for the and of course just like seven is so much mana and the few decks that can cheat its mana cost, I'm thinking like Kalia. Um mm-hmm. you know, Kalia doesn't want well, maybe Kalia like wants this as just like I choose instance, my Kalia is protected. And yeah. So maybe that's the use case. Yeah, because I was trying to figure that out. I forgot that the angel type line means Kalia probably. <laughs> but um yeah i just couldn't figure out like I, what what deck actually wants this like i can see how it is good but um i can't see where i would want to play it other than just like a generic top end and i think the power in it comes from its flexibility like if your meta has a lot of like is it decks where they're only playing like mizium mortars and earthquakes and things like okay yeah you pick sorcery and that player is screwed right mm-hmm. like that that player can't deal with it but um and then you play the next game and someone's playing super friends and now they can't target you with the nickel bolus ult that would kill you or something like that like okay and they can't steal your creatures or whatever it's gonna be so I, that that's kind of where i see the power in this is like the it, like play group dependency mm-hmm. 
Um, but I, I don't know. I guess maybe it's just the playgroup that we have right now. Oh man. Okay. So this next one, it's the last white card we're going to talk about today. And, um, uh, do you want to, you want to get into uh, it? Sure. I, I like this guy a lot. This is solitude. Yeah. It is three white, white for a three, two creature elemental incarnation. It has flash and lifelink. When it enters the battlefield, exile up to one other target creature. That creature's controller gains life equal to its power and you can evoke it by exiling a white card from your hand. I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty high on this card. I, I think it's very good. I do too. I think the fact that we can even compare this to Swords to Plowshares at all is just like a crazy good sign. Like Swords is probably just like the best removal spell like that has been printed. Mm-hmm. I I would think. Yeah. And the fact that this comes close to that is awesome. And the fact that it's a creature with flash is awesome so very high on this the flicker decks love it pretty much most white decks kind of want it you know like it just seems good yeah and i know that like it it two for oneing yourself is pretty unappealing in commander but thing is you don't have to do it like really this is just giving you an option so that you can like tap out on your turn commit all of your your resources to other things and then just have the option that like if something is going to get cast that will kill you, you just don't die. Like I will I will yeah. two for one myself if the alternative is dying. Yeah, exactly. If someone's coming at me with the blight steel, I don't care how many cards I have to pitch to not die to it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh and then of course it just has the the base case of like, well, I you know, kill something, I get a a decent body. Uh, and I have something that I could potentially reuse with like blink or reanimation or whatever. So I, I like this card a lot. I mean, it does not have that much stiff competition, but I think this is like top five or type, uh, well, maybe like top, okay, top 10 white it's, removal spells, it's easy. And then, yeah. Uh, but it's like, you know, towards the middle of that top 10 list, I think. Yeah, I, I think so too. I think it's closer to five than to 10. Yeah. And now we're into blue cards. So this first one, uh, I guess I'll just I'll read it off because it got a cooler name. The translation name was nowhere near as cool, <laughs> as good as its actual name. This is Dressed Down. It is a blue enchantment for one and a blue. It has flash. When Dressed Down enters the battlefield, draw a card. Creatures lose all abilities. At the beginning of the end step, sacrifice Dressed Down. So yeah, the name is way better. <laughs> than the uh, translated spoiler name was. And, like, this can save your life when a counterspell wouldn't be able to save your life, but, like, I feel like it doesn't do much most of the time. Am I wrong about that? So my thoughts are, like, I'm not going to take out counterspell for this card. I'm not going to take out, like, my top five favorite counterspells for this. But, like, it's never going to be awful because it you know you can just cycle it to it has cycling for one and a blue and there are situations where it's just like very 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 good like if your opponent tooth and nails and gets avenger of zendikar and crater hoof behemoth and you cast this in response like you draw a card and then they get two five fives that don't do anything (laughs) that seems great uh i'm again not gonna like take out my favorite counter spells but you know i would definitely take out some other situational card that didn't cycle for this card yeah (laughs) 
Yeah, no, I, I feel that. I think that's the thing that really pushes it over the edge for me is that it at bare minimum replaces mm-hmm. itself. So like you stop something from happening and you get a card back and that that seems like a decent enough rate and it seems like it has enough applications to where I'd want to play it. But I was like, I want to, you know, I want to double check. <laughs> we didn't get to talk about this beforehand. So yeah, <laughs> we can talk about it now. Yeah, I think there's a lot of situations where it will save you, and but you're right, not it's not all of them, and it's not better than a counter spell most of the time. Yeah, most of the time. Can I read off this sure. next guy? Yeah. So this is fractured sanity. It is a blue sorcery. It costs blue, blue, blue. So three mana, three blue pips. It has each opponent mills fourteen cards, and it has cycling for one and a blue. So pay one and a blue, you discard it, draw a card. And it has, when you cycle Fractured Sanity, each opponent mills four cards. Yeah, I mean, where, where am I going to put this, and why is it 14 cards? <laughs> um, well, this is pretty good in Bruvac. Like, if you are committed to milling your opponents out with Bruvac, um, and you're, you don't have a Thrumming Stone in play, then this is just pretty solid. You know, tapping your four, well, your three petitioners and Bruvac uh, is only going to mill 24 cards off of one player's library. So this is, whereas like this is going to mill 28 cards off of each opponent's library. So it's just like, yeah, even in a deck that is uh, concentrated on the petitioner's plan, this is still worth running just to help you get to that, that win condition. Yeah, it seems like it just pushes things like so far over the edge. Mm-hmm. That said, I, I'm probably not really going to run it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Scene. pretty narrow yeah it's pretty narrow but um i i actually do like this card i think it's cool that they printed a card in modern that says each opponent mm-hmm. it's like still functional in modern functional in commander now too yep. that's cool all right uh, i'll read off this next guy this is five blue blue for a five six creature serpent it's called junk winder uh, it has affinity for tokens which means it costs one less to cast for each token you control and whenever a token enters the battlefield under your control, tap target non-land permanent an opponent controls. It doesn't untap during its controller's next untap step. Um, so I think that tapping down non-land permanents uh, is pretty weak in general. You're not going to, like, outside of, say, Orvar, you're not going to put, like, a twiddle in your deck. But this is a really, really good rate. Like, if you're playing a token deck, you're going to have a lot of tokens. This is going to cost like two to three mana. And then you're going to be able to trigger it like multiple time, probably like a lot of times in a given turn. So I just think that because the rate is so generous, it's going to be pretty darn good. It's just going to make it like impossible for your opponents to block you, for example. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I uh, very much agree. I think... I've been having a lot of fun with, oh no, it's the, so Merchant Raiders is a 2-4 for 3 and a blue. It's a human pirate, and when it or another pirate enters the battlefield under your control, you tap a creature until it leaves the battlefield. Merchant Raiders leaves the battlefield. When you have enough pirates coming down, it just, all your guys just are unblockable all the time. It's been like really impressive how this like kind of crappy little, trigger can add up to so much so junk winder seems uh the same to me it doesn't 
stay tapped forever like merchant raiders kind of does but um it keeps them tapped for way longer than they should be yeah and it can just be really disruptive like even if your opponent has already tapped their like mana rocks or mana dorks like being able to keep them from untapping is going to cause like a pretty severe resource imbalance yeah i, I just uh i think there's a lot of decks that this is going to be able to um to do a lot of work uh i agree and i i I'm excited for it, and I feel like I'm gonna play this next. I'm, I feel like one day I'm gonna play Junkwinder. I feel like next someday I'm gonna play this next card, which is uh, Lose Focus. It is a blue instant, one and a blue. It has Replicate for a blue, just a single blue, uh, which means you can pay the Replicate cost as many times as you want or can, and it copies the spell that many times. Uh, so what does the spell do? Well, counter target spell unless its controller pays two generic. So it's kind of just a a bad counter spell, <laughs> a bad mana leak, but you can replicate it a bunch of times. So most of the time, like unless you're catching someone trying to go off, it's probably going to be like one blue blue to counter a spell. But um, there are cases where this is going to be pretty cool. I don't know if you want to talk about that. Yeah, I'd say that like, in most decks, I wouldn't be very psyched to run this. I think there's just too many good alternatives. Um, but in a deck, or rather in a metagame with like a lot of counterspells, this does help you win counterspell wars. And it also like works really, really well if your deck happens to have a magecraft theme. So if you're playing like yeah. um, you know, any of the magecraft commanders from Strixhaven or C21 then this is uh, a great card for those kinds of decks. Yeah, Varen comes to mind. The red-blue, it gets bigger, but it copies uh, when things trigger off mm-hmm. spells. Like, Not only am I going to get a bunch of triggers for whatever else is on the battlefield that could possibly trigger, Like, my Varen's going to get huge, and like that could be a huge blocker or a huge combat out of nowhere, like a huge combatant in the middle of a... Someone's trying to kill your... your commander or something so i yeah i i think that over time this is gonna have more homes but as far as like a just a counter spell i probably would play like a lot of counter spells before this first yeah so this next card is lucid dreams it is three blue blue for a sorcery draw x cards where x is the number of card types among cards in your graveyard what do you think about this card I like Delirium as a mechanic, and I feel like this utilizes it very poorly. (laughs) Really love the art on it, which makes it a bummer that I'm probably never going to play this card. I'd be much more willing to to run this if it was an instant. I've just like lately been pretty off uh, sorcery speed blue card draw because these days we just have so many good options that are either like really efficient or uh, just come at instant speed. If you look at uh, EDH rec, like the blue draw spells that draw more than two cards are in order, like of of most adoption to least. Windfall, Treasure Cruise, Blue Sun Zenith, Pull from Tomorrow, Finale of Revelation, Echo of Eons, Seagate Restoration, Time Twister, and Stroke of Genius. So just kind of like pulling out the patterns there. It seems like you're if it's sorcery speed, you're like. Paying very little mana for it generally like 
you know that that's sort of the the category that like windfall and time twister and echo of eons fall under or it's or and also like treasure cruise or it's like instant yeah. speed with like stroke of genius pull from tomorrow blue sun zenith i just you know when i first started playing the format like recurring insight was really big um and oof, that that one that like four in a blue sorcery draw cards equals to the greatest oh, uh um, converted mana cost among permanents you control yeah i can't remember rush of knowledge something... rush of knowledge rush of, yeah um but these days i just don't think most decks are, are keen on like tapping out uh to draw cards during their main phase or at least yeah. most blue decks <clears throat> yeah no I, i've definitely tried to run some sorcery speed like Oh, but it's just like a lot of cards at once, and I always end up like just like feeling like I'm putting my foot in my mouth, mm-hmm. where it's like, oh, well, now I don't have the mana to do this thing I needed to do, and uh, or it's like now, now my shields are down, and my opponents can do whatever they want. Yeah, exactly, and it just always it feels bad. Yeah. Um. This next card does not feel bad. Uh, well, <laughs> this speak next for yourself, card is but go ahead. Oh, <laughs> I love this effect. I'm I'm a huge fan of March of the Machines, and um, this card, uh, kind of spoiler alert, it's called Rise and Shine. It is a blue sorcery, one and a blue. Target non-creature artifact you control becomes a zero-zero artifact creature. Put four plus one plus one counters on each artifact that became a creature this way. And then it has overload for four blue blue. So the target non-creature artifact you control becomes each non-creature artifact you control. Uh, And the reason I like this is because it is pretty trivial in certain lists to just end up with way too much like treasure or clues nowadays with the, the clue guy we were talking about earlier. This is one of the cards I was talking about that was kind of an all-star in uh, our friends list uh, in Mark's list and it just killed <laughs> people it just killed it's just like in some of these lists it's just a blue overrun and it just kills someone and they don't expect it and that is pretty awesome <laughs> but it is definitely not a staple this is definitely powerful in a narrow band of uh, of decks mm. Yeah, when I see cards like this, I'm always worried that, you know, I'm going to do it and then I'm going to pass the turn and then my opponent is going to wrath me and I'm going to lose like all my valuable artifacts like my uh, my mana rocks and card draw engines or whatever. Uh, I mm-hmm. think it, it definitely makes a lot of sense in the that clue list we were talking about earlier because like, yeah. you know, who who cares if my clues die? I was I was going to blow them yeah. up anyway. You saved me some trouble. Um, (laughs) so I think that makes a lot of sense. Like if your artifacts are, are useless or, or just like not very good in general, if you're making, maybe if you have like a food list or something, uh, then this, you know, is definitely a significant upgrade. Whereas like, you know, if you're running an artifact list where the artifacts are actually really good, um, making them more vulnerable would be something that I would be worried about. Yeah, yeah, I, I would not really just run this as a way to make an artifact a creature. I think there's just better things if you want to do that, and that strategy is like not actually that well supported. There's a few cards that do that, but like 
as much as I like March of the Machines, it, it's actually much worse than this card doing what it does. Well, I won't say that. It it just makes the creatures have power and toughness equal to their CMC, which means that sometimes your things just huh. die. Because <laughs> uh, you had a Mana Vault, or uh, sorry, Mana Crypt, and uh, it just kills itself okay. <laughs> for some. For I, I will say one thing, though. So... You know, at the the very end of this podcast, uh, when we get down to the lands, there was something I was going to talk about, which is the tapped artifact lands. And so, like, very yeah. brief uh, preview of that here. But, yeah. like, <laughs> indestructible artifact lands is something you... That's something you can work with. And, and we're up to the point where there are now um, 12 indestructible lands that you can run in Commander. So I was kind of thinking like it might be interesting to make a five color deck where the whole point of the deck is to ramp yourself, but specifically ramp out your uh, indestructible lands. And then you can just run like symmetrical land destruction and, you know, mess people up. But in that specific deck, Rise and Shine might be good just because like, oh, you know, all my lands are these artifact lands that are indestructible. So now I just have a billion uh four four indestructible artifact creatures. Mm-hmm. No, that actually seems pretty cool. But anyway, anyway. Uh let's let's keep moving on. I know we got a lot more to cover today. Yes. Um so this next one is pretty narrow, but we wanted to bring it up because it's pretty cool. Uh this is step through. It is a blue sorcery, three blue blue. Return two target creatures to their owner's hands. Uh I'm probably not going to do that too often because it has wizard cycling for two generic so wizard cycling is like basic land cycling, except you get a wizard instead of a basic land. And that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the previously um the only wizard cycling card was had is a Vidalcan Ether Mage, and that costs three to wizard cycle. So this is a huge upgrade. And there are a fair number of wizards that slot into combos, like the off the top of my head. The probably one of the best ones is dual caster mage plus any spell that can make a copy of a creature. So you just mm-hmm, get mm-hmm. infinite dual caster mage. Uh, so if your deck is one that, or, or, or for example, like Inala uh, is basically a one card combo with Wanderwine Prophets. So there's a couple good wizard based combos that this can just help you assemble. Um, if you have like a, a time, a deck that's trying to do like the time warp. Archaeomancer uh, and like Blink Engine combo. This can just sub in as another copy of Archaeomancer. So I think there's just a lot of places where this is going to be very good. I agree with you. It's pretty cool and it's pretty cool how like an innocuous card can do so much. Mm, now that I'm thinking about it, I wonder. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, okay. I might need to put some more thought into this, but like, okay, you wizard cycle this, you are, get Archaeomancer. You then use Archaeomancer to get back step through, then you cycle that. And are there any like wizards that can help you go from there? Are there like wizard blink engines? What's like Mist Meadow Witch? Mist Meadow Witch is a it's wizard. A wizard. It's a freaking wizard. Okay, all right. There's something here. There's definitely, <laughs> this could be a one card combo. <laughs> uh, let me, okay, I'm not going to waste too much time like figuring out the combo on the air, but. Clearly, there's a lot of things you can do with this card. It's very good. Um, and I think we'll just have to come back. I'm going to do some more research, and I'll come back in the next Modern Horizon spoiler app uh, and see if I found anything very cool. 
Yeah, because he used to run Vidalcan Aether Mage a lot. It was pretty good. Nice. So very excited. There's a cooler version of it. Um, can I read this? Yes, next go card? for it. Yeah. So this is subtlety. Uh, subtle, subtlety. Maybe I shouldn't have read this card. <laughs> this is subtlety. This is a three-three elemental incarnation with flash and flying for four mana, two blue blue. When subtlety enters the battlefield, choose up to one target creature spell or planeswalker spell. Its owner puts it onto the top or bottom of their library. And then you can evoke it by exiling a blue card from your hand. Hmm. So uh, I was like super high on this card. I was like, wow, I love this. This is so cool. It like, can mess with like creature combos. And then if you have a flicker deck, it can mess with people's boards, not realizing it was specifically creature or planeswalker spell. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and not just creatures or planeswalkers. So kind of tempered my my enthusiasm a little bit but yeah it's it's fine that's all i'm gonna say i think this is fine i i'm not yeah i'm just not very crazy about it I, there's just there's not that many creatures i'm like like i just wouldn't put res, remove soul in my deck i just wouldn't and this is just like mm, i i think this is worse than remove soul. yeah yeah no oh. i wouldn't put remove soul in my deck and this is worse than remove soul and it's just like this that like compared to like the swords to plowshares guy I'm I'm really not high on subtlety. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, and I'm okay if blue is the worst one in the cycle because uh, they got they got a lot well, going on. Green's you know? giving it a run for its money, but <laughs> we'll talk more about that later. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um. So last blue card for the day. Uh, I'll read it and you sure. talk about it. The last blue card for the day is called Suspend. It is a blue instant. It costs just blue, just one mana. Exile target creature and put two time counters on it. If it doesn't have suspend, it gains suspend. Um, so aptly named. Uh, uh, yeah, how do you feel about uh, this? I think this is very good, but um, I'll temper it by saying that there are a lot of very good blue spot removal spells. Um, I, <laughs> I don't think, I mean, it's not better than Pongify, Rapid Hybridization, Reality Shift, or Resculpt. Um, and it's not better. I mean, so I'd say it's like the fifth best blue instant speed spot removal spell. So if you're in like a broader color identity, if you have if you have access to like, uh, if you also have access to like black spot removal spells or even like white spot removal spells, I think this just like wouldn't make the cut because by that point you're just you have so many good options. Um. But if you're in a more restrictive color identity, if you're in like mono blue, if you're in maybe like blue red or blue green, then I would be more interested in running this. But, you know, I'll pick up a couple copies, but it's not like Resculpt where I bought like four or five of them. Yeah, exactly. And with that, I think we're in the black cards. Uh, yep. I, so uh, I'll read this one off. It is Clattering Augur. One in a black for a 1-1 creature skeleton shaman. It can't block. When it enters the battlefield, you draw a card and you lose one life. And then you can pay two black black to return Clattering Augur from your graveyard to your hand. Uh, what do you think about this guy? I actually really like this card. Even if it didn't have all that extra text, even if it was just a 1-1, like, can't block, draw a card, lose a life for two, I'd, <laughs> I'd still like this card. <laughs> 
Um, the fact that I can get it back and the fact that it's a skeleton shaman for some reason. Um, hell yeah. You know, like that's cool. Uh, it fits right into Shirei, which is super cool. That deck is awesome. And anything that helps that list makes me very happy. All right. Uh, I can read yeah. this next guy off as well. Um, this is persist yeah. one in a black for a sorcery. Turn target non-legendary creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield with a minus one, minus one counter on it. Uh, so looking at this, this is definitely like worse than Animate Dead, Necromancy, Reanimate, and Dance of the Dead because it can't <laughs> target things in your opponent's graveyard. Uh, it's worse than Victimize because it only gets back one thing uh, and it can't tar- target legendary creatures. So... It's like the sixth best uh, single target reanimation spell in black. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's my, my thoughts on it are like sort of how I feel about suspend where like, okay, if you're really trying to do this thing, you're definitely going to put all those other cards in your deck first and then you will uh, consider looking into this one. What are your thoughts on yeah. it? I, I think we're going to see this card because you're right, it is close enough to the other ones that I think we're going to see this simply because a lot of those other options are becoming priced out of a lot of people's hands. Like I know that uh, Necromancy, which I used to pick up pretty cheaply all the time and just have, uh, are in the double digits at this yeah. point. And although like Victimize and even Animate Dead are pretty easy to get your hands on, like even a Dance of the Dead is going to push you like seven, eight bucks right now. So I think just because it's close enough people are going to want to play this card like a big donk out of the graveyard is still a big donk like I, attacking with a nit that betrays is still pretty good even when it's got a minus one minus one counter on it you know like the this is going to do the job <laughs> so um i think we'll see it and i, I think you're right i think um What's helping this is the fact that the secondary market is just off the rails right yeah. now. All right, uh, moving on to another black card. This is Underworld Hermit. Four black black for a 3-3 three, three creature human peasant. When it enters the battlefield, create a number of 1-1 one, one green squirrel creature tokens equal to your devotion to black. Uh, so this is almost a color-shifted... Um, oh, what is it? Heliod, Evangel of Heliod? Yeah. Evangel of Heliod. Yep. Um but black can do a lot of interesting things with um with converting tokens into other resources. So, you know, you've got like things like God Eternal Bantu or Yogmoth Ran Physician that'll just directly convert these crappy little scroll tokens into cards. Um I mean it, it definitely has some some competition at the six CMC mark, like Grave Titan happens to be the same mana cost. But I think if you're just playing a black deck that wants to make as many tokens as possible, this is going to do a lot. And and black is so good at generating devotion, like much better than white, really. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm yeah. high on this card, I think. No, I am too. I think just the, it's almost like if white could convert resources more efficiently, <laughs> it would be a more compelling color. Indeed. Um, yeah. <laughs> The the one note, I'm trying to find who said it, but in our Discord, someone said that this card would have been really bonkers in IRF. It didn't make green squirrels if it just made like 
white citizens or humans or something like that or uh, black humans. Um, yeah, I know that is one and, uh, like problem with the the imperfect translation of this card from Evangel of Heliod. Yeah, They're trying to support that squirrel archetype, and, and now we can't just like <laughs> annihilate somebody with Ayara. Very, very <laughs> unfortunate. I know. <laughs> Yeah, which it would have been perfect because it is still pretty good, right? Like it's uh, in that list, you're going to get a lot of squirrels. Oh, but yeah, like minimum you, five guys. It's pretty solid. That's pretty good, but you you can't sack them to draw cards. They don't drain any life. They just kind of they're just kind of chilling. <laughs> so that's kind of a shame. Um, and uh, I don't know. That's all I got to say. Can I can I read this next? Yeah, card? this next one is very sexy. Yeah, this is really cool. This is unmarked grave. It is a black sorcery, one and a black. Search your library for a non-legendary card. Put that card into your graveyard, then shuffle. Um, I actually really like this card. I think the flavor is awesome. Like the unmarked grave, the non-legendary card in your graveyard. That's like so rad. Um, And it just does a good enough Entomb variant. Like Entomb gets non-legendary stuff. I would say like most, if not, more of the time that this is just going to be a budget in tomb for most people i think yeah it's i've always been like you know flummoxed by the fact that there were so few options for cards that do this in black and and so many of them are just really expensive like okay you've got your in tomb and then you've got your buried alive and then it's like are you gonna play uh you're gonna play like Corpse Connoisseur for five mana? Are you gonna play Gravebreaker Lamia for five mana? It's like yeah, just being able to efficiently tutor something to your graveyard is so useful uh, in like a lot of narrow applications. So I'm I'm really interested in this card. Like I could imagine, um, you know, you're playing like a you're playing like a Lord Windgrace deck and you there's some land you really want to get a hold of and, and casting Unmarked Grave to get it. Or, you know, in some Chain or Reanimator deck, you really want to get your Sire of Insanity out early. Like there's just a lot of applications for this card. I I wish that there was a lot of redundancy in this effect because, you know, honestly, it's, it's so much more fair and more interesting than just like a, a Demonic Tutor. Um, because it's a, like the the decks it supports are so much weirder, and it would be great to just to have more options like this and to be able to do your weird things more consistently. Like like just think of, I mean honestly, there's so many options. I don't want to waste time listing them all, but like if you're playing yeah. like a Gitrog <laughs> list, you can go and get your deck more salvage directly into your graveyard and then just uh, go on from there. It's so good. Yeah, no, just there's so many black decks that are kind of made or make or break with just specific cards in their graveyard. And the fact that this is just another way to to do that and do it so efficiently is super Mm -hmm. cool. And I think that brings us to the last black card of the day. This is Young Necromancer. This is a 2-3 human warlock for 5 mana, 4 and a black. Uh, When Young Necromancer enters the battlefield, you may exile 2 cards from your graveyard. When you do return target creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield. So this is like, it's, it's pretty fair. It does a pretty good Phyrexian Delver impersonation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you saw, you found that plays in 9.5 thousand decks on EDH yes. deck, which is pretty good. 
that's a pretty nice number. Yeah, no. So so and and like honestly the I think the largest criticisms you could levy at Young Necromancer are also true of Phyrexian Delver. Mm-hmm. In that it's not very easy to go to like set up infinite recursion loops uh in the same way that you could with like a, a karmic guide and a revel arc. Like young necromancer requires you to like your graveyard is constantly ticking down as you're doing this. So unless you have something that like is filling your graveyard in the like as you're going through the combo, um you're eventually just gonna run out of cards and the loop will stop. But but that's also true of Phyrexian Delver. Eventually you're gonna run out of life and the the loop will stop. So I so I think like a lot of people are just playing Phyrexian Delver fairly, in which case like as a fair card, just like I'm casting this to get something back. Um this is really sweet. I think this is a a great reanimation on a creature. You it slots well into like into blink engines because like even if you're doing it every single turn, like two cards is not a steep cost. I think you can do that pretty consistently for a very long time before it becomes a be an issue. Um mm-hmm. no, I, I agree with you. I think this is just a pretty solid reanimation card. Yeah. So I um I'm pretty high on it. I, I like this card a lot. I God, I wish I had I need to like consult some rule people on this because I'm wondering maybe you can answer this for me. Um <laughs> okay. So you so you know how basically this is two triggers, light it right? It's like when it enters the battlefield, you may do this, and then when you do return target. So do you choose the target creature card only after the you like exile the cards from your graveyard or do you choose the target like um when it's first entering i think the answer is you don't choose the target until later i think i think that is the answer off the top of my head but uh any judges listening to this can can yell at me later <laughs> on the on the internet and and tell me if i did it wrong okay or not, the so. reason i ask this is because if it's the case that you don't choose the target until later, then what you can do is I cast Young Ma- Young Necromancer with its ability on, with its Enter the Battlefield ability on the stack. I sacrifice it to Altar of Dementia. I mill myself two cards. Uh, it's in my graveyard. And then like I this Enter the Battlefield ability resolves. I exile the two cards I milled from my graveyard. Then this other trigger gets put on the stack. Uh, and then I can return my young necromancer. I can target my young necromancer and get it back from our graveyard onto the battlefield. I'm back where I started, except I guess my library has two fewer cards in it. Um, so you can use that to mill yourself out. And then the neat thing is, I think if you have a Thassa's Oracle in your deck, like like you, as long as you had like one other card in your graveyard to begin with. You can mill your entire library and then exile like a different two cards. And then after milling your Thassa's Oracle, return that to the battlefield and win the game. Does that make sense? That makes sense. Okay. So either this card is like a two card win combo with Alter of Dementia or just ignore all that and it's just like a good reanimation creature. So, uh, <laughs> nice. like, I'm gonna consult a judge ASAP. Hopefully, we can get an answer during this recording session. And then we'll just edit this. So, if you're hearing this, then we were right, which gets us to red. 
Uh, Brea's Apprentice is our first red card. It is a 2-3 artifact creature, human artificer, which is actually a funny type line to read. Uh, for three mana, two and a red. When Brea's Apprentice enters the battlefield, create a 1-1 colorless thopter artifact creature token with flying. And then he has tap, sack an artifact, choose one. Exile the top card of your library until the end of your next turn. You may play that card. Or target creature gets plus two plus oh until end of turn. Yeah, I mean, where would you play this card? I was thinking maybe in like a mono red artifact deck or a mono red artifact that could like make artifact deck that could easily generate artifact sack fodder. So in like a Duretti or a Felden list, uh, it's like an additional means of getting artifacts into your yard uh, and generating value off your artifacts. That's kind of what I was thinking with this, but. I am willing to consider the possibility that it's just too slow because it does require you to tap the guy. Yes, I was a lot higher on this because I didn't realize it had to tap, you know. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, hmm, this does a lot of what Brea does, but like worse, which makes sense because it's mono red. And then when I realized, oh, it, uh, you got to tap it, I was a little bit lower on it, but I still think it's cool. I might, I might end up playing this in some lists, so we'll, we'll, I'll test and I'll let everyone know. This next card, I was really, really hoping it would be a banger uh, because of its name, and I, <laughs> sorry to say I might not end up playing it, but it is called Chef's Kiss. This is a red instant. It costs one red red, so three mana. It says, gain control of target spell that targets only a single permanent or player. Copy it then reselect the targets at random for the spell and the copy. The new targets can't be you or permanents you control. <laughs> like what is going on here? Like, can you, can you explain when this card is good? I, I'd say that like, it's pretty much only good when targeting your opponent's spot removal. Yeah. Or like discard. Yeah. Cause the thing is like, yeah, it can answer a counter spell, but like copying a counter spell often doesn't do that much like really you want it to be something where like you're getting a uh i guess a three for one by like stopping the well i guess i'm assuming that it targets your stuff at least a two for one preferably a three for one instead of just a one for one i'm stopping your counter spell so i'm not that high on it It just seems really really narrow like yeah the best uses of forks just don't really work here because it can only target spells that target a single permanent air player which means you can't like fork your fork with this card so you can't get like infinite magecraft triggers you also it doesn't work well on time on time warp effects because the new time warps can't target you so i don't know it just doesn't i I just don't think there's a lot of good situations where you would want to run this card i'm I'm not very high on it. it it's no tybalt's trickery yeah, exactly. That is not Chef's Kiss for me. So, But the next card is really cool. I like this next one a lot. This is uh, Dragon's Rage Channeler, a single red mana for a 1-1 creature human shaman. Whenever you cast a non-creature spell, surveil one, which is basically scry, except you can put it into your graveyard rather than putting it on the bottom of your library. Uh, and then it has Delirium. As long as there are four or more card types among cards in your graveyard, it gets plus two plus two, has flying, and attacks each combat if able. So I 
would say you should probably just ignore the delirium and focus on that top ability because this is a really good enabler in combo lists. There's a bunch of red commanders that just want that, that filtering. And it's just, it at one mana, it's like such a steal, you know, like it's just so easy. Mm -hmm. So very excited, very cool, um, and very into that card. What I really like about cards like this is that basically they stretch the utility of your cards that like just trigger and draw a card. And and let me give some examples to that. Um, so let's say you're running like Joyra, Weatherlight Captain, and you have a bunch of Cheerios. So uh, every time, if you have Joyra on the battlefield, every time you cast your zero mana artifact, you're going to draw a card. Well, even if you have like an incredibly high density of these zero mana artifacts, even if it's like 50% of your deck, 50 non-land slots being devoted to these zero mana artifacts, about half the time you're going to draw a dead card. A dragon, but Dragon's Rage Channeler. Uh, if you have that on the battlefield, then you know your chance of your you have the ability to like mill the useless cards and make it so you're much more likely to keep the combo going, stop yourself from fizzling, and for a single red mana, that's like an amazing ability. And there's just a lot of commanders that are similar to that, similar to Joyra, or or just like decks that are doing a similar thing. Like if you know if you've got like a whirlwind of thought out or whatever, uh, this is a great way to ensure that you you don't fizzle when you're trying to cast your entire library. Yep, I don't have much more to say. You, I think you hit the nail on the head. Yep. Can I read this next one? Go for it. So this next one is Flame Blitz. This is a red enchantment for just a red mana, just one red mana. At the beginning of your end step, Flame Blitz deals 5 damage to each Planeswalker, and it has Cycling of 2 Generic. So something that you cannot see uh, in this audio medium is that this is the hipster guy from the Curse Cycle, the last Curse Cycle that we ended up getting, and he's just getting absolutely dunked on by this Flame Blitz. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that means he's a Planeswalker, I'm assuming. Right, that's like what this. Oh no, it's been canon that he's a planeswalker. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, the, so the one day is we'll... like take place on different planes. Oh, okay. So this is um, one day we'll we're... Modern Horizons three. We're gonna get hipster guy. He just mark mark my words. I know it's it's kind of cool that they've like set up his character as he's just like the unluckiest planeswalker, and I'm kind of curious how they can build around that mechanically. Like maybe something about. He flips coins and then does things when you lose flips. Uh, I, I think <laughs> that'd be pretty fun. Yeah, there's a lot of fun potential for a design around that flavor. Um, but in terms of playing the card, if you have as uh, if you have a lot of planeswalkers in your metagame and your playgroup, uh, this is very low cost to run. You know, it you can always trade it in for another card. It's similar to dress down in that way. Uh, I think this is probably. In most metagames, I think it's probably going to be useful less often than Dress Down is. So, you know, like deck slots are a real resource that you you can't just like, you know, run 60 narrow answers with cycling. But, you know, in the right metagame and then definitely in like a Gavi deck, this is like perfect card for a Gavi deck. That actually is a deck that just wants to run like 60 narrow answers with cycling. Oh, yeah, definitely. That's That's actually one of my favorite parts of Gavi is like, 
doing your thing because you just kind of can always do your thing but then like randomly you'll have like the silver bullet that like your opponent is kind of banking on no one (laughs) so it's pretty fun it's pretty cool but yeah i really like that card do you want (laughs) to do you want to talk about this next weird card sure yeah this is an odd one um all right this is two and a red for a sorcery exile the top card of your library during your next turn you may play that card and then it has storm the reason this is so darn strange is because like you know if you're playing a storm deck you're you're trying to do everything at once you're trying to like win the same turn you're storming off so it's just kind of bizarre that this thing like kind of forces you to storm off on two consecutive turns rather than like just giving you more gas to keep going this turn that said there are some ways that you can like make use of this cuz you know if everyone can see your your stack of like 12 exiled cards that <laughs> and know exactly what you're going to cast on your next turn uh yeah. they are are not going to take that lying down but there are some ways that you can like sort of skip directly to that next turn. Like if you uh, have extra turn effects, uh, even like, well, you know, obviously like time warps, but even something like a final fortune, if your deck is the type to run that kind of thing, if you're running a storm deck, you're, you plan to win like all at once. And maybe that's what you want to do. Just like go directly yeah. to the next <laughs> turn. Also, another thing that I'm just thinking about now, like a Teferi's protection would also kind of do the trick in the sense that like you are not there to get pummeled while the Teferi's protection is going so you can just cast that and just you're basically skipping until your next turn it's less good for sure yeah this it's just such a weird card yeah i'm glad you have opinions on it because i don't necessarily right now yeah um yeah i guess do you want to just move on yeah let's go on to this next one um it's harmonic prodigy one in a red for a one three human wizard with prowess and if an ability of a shaman or another wizard you control triggers, that ability triggers an additional time. Uh, what do you think about this guy? I think that this card is really cool. Um, we've gotten a decent amount of commanders where this already just slots right into. Recently, we had Rionia, uh, which was a mono red card from C21 that uh, makes clones and then makes extra clones if you've cast a bunch of uh, instants and sorceries. That triggers twice with <laughs> Harmonic Prodigy out, which is uh, nutso. That is crazy. Crock the Thumbless will trigger multiple times. Sekuar, the old Jun commander that makes 3-1 zombies. Uh, Valduk, getting multiple Valduk triggers in a combat seems absolutely bonkers. So um, there's a few good ones there, and that's not even all of them <laughs> like there's a lot of commanders that happen to be shamans or wizards so um get on scryfall look up some cool boys and uh harmonic prodigy uh will probably be worth the include yeah one, one thing i want to say is like most of the ones we mentioned just now I, I i put them down because like those are all wizards or shamans well that like tend to do something more powerful when you and like so even just copying them once is good like getting two reonia triggers is amazing that's really really sick i want to call out just one other commander that does like something weak but like a whole lot of times and where this card is going to be pretty amazing and that's adelie's the Cinderwind. oh yeah <laughs> so adelie's the Cinderwind is one red blue for a two two legendary creature human wizard with flying and haste Whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, wizards you control get plus plus one until end of turn. 
So, okay, yeah, you get, you know, you're probably going to be casting multiple spells, you get even bigger buffs, but also just looking at how people are building the deck. Uh, the high synergy cards are things like Wee Dragonauts, Storm Chaser Mage, Umara Mystic, Burning Prophet, uh, just a whole bunch of wizards that like have prowess or some like prowess adjacent ability. So uh, this Harmonic Prodigy is not only going to be uh, increasing your Adelie's triggers, it's going to be increasing the triggers from all of your creatures on the battlefield. Uh, so that just seems insane and very difficult to track, and I'm sure that's going to be very fun for some people. Yeah. <laughs> that is a good point very difficult to track but is going to be nutso which is cool um i think people like nutso so this next one is the last red card for today it's called spreading insurrection it is a red sorcery for four and a red gain control of target creature you don't control until end of turn untap that creature it gains haste uh, until end of turn and it has storm um so <laughs> what do you think about this this is a pretty sweet one, um, but the the problem is I think that there are just better options. Like Mob Rule costs a single mana more. Mob Rule costs four red, red, and sorcery, and it's basically insurrection for creatures with power four or greater or creatures with power three or less, and that doesn't really require any additional work on your part. You don't need to up your storm count for that to, to have a really big impact on the board. And then, of course, there's, you know, Insurrection itself, the this card's progenitor. Uh, that costs eight mana, and, and you kind of have to ask yourself when you look at Spreading Insurrection, like, how many spells am I going to cast to leading up to Spreading Insurrection? How much mana am I going to invest in those spells? And is the total cost more than eight mana, or more than seven mana? Because mm-hmm. if that's the case, I would just rather cast Insurrection. So I just don't think this is better than the existing options and it's not really a great storm payoff yeah the i i am of the opinion because i agree with everything you've just said that this should have just been in like the zephy thunder conductor list that was used the face card of the prismari c21 commanders because this would have been fine there it's kind of worth the effort to like twiddle your thumbs and then steal three things for a turn because like you're also getting three four fours when you storm off in that instance, you know, mm-hmm. and that seems fine. Like a five mana spell that you cast at the end of like a two or three card chain that gets you a bunch of four fours and steals a bunch of stuff for a turn like that seems OK. But like that's literally the only instance <laughs> in which I would uh, I would ever want to play this card, really like thinking about it. So uh, cool art, uh, cool idea. I'm glad they're playing around with Storm, but this is uh, kind of lackluster. Yeah. I mean, speaking of Storm, do you want to get into this next green card? <laughs> sure. Uh, this next card is Chatterstorm. One and a green for a sorcery. Create a 1-1 one, one green squirrel creature token, and it has Storm. Uh, Where do you think this might be good? Yeah, so... <laughs> I mean, we've gotten some Storm Commanders in uh, this set. So Thrasta was looking pretty good. Ave, the uh, ooze that we talked about, oh, what, like two hours ago, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, is looking pretty good. And anywhere that you're probably going to run, like, Empty the Warrens, uh, you could run Chatterstorm, too, you know. And uh, Empty the Warrens is three in a red, make two goblins uh, storm. So uh, if if 
you have a red green storm list or something like maybe a blue green storm list well here you go here's another win condition and uh and yeah that's kind of all i feel about it at this point in time yeah um it's interesting but uh just don't know if there's a whole lot of places that can use it well yeah exactly so uh on that note i think we should move on to this next card which is also (laughs) also really interesting this is fey offering uh this is an enchantment it costs two and a green it has at the beginning of each end step each end step if you've cast both a creature spell and a non-creature spell this turn create a clue token a food token and a treasure token um so that is really cool but like uh <laughs> how how am i gonna farm this effectively <laughs> yeah that's definitely tricky i mean there's certainly a lot of like uh creatures in green that are really like low effort to put them in your deck like you're not going to really hurt your deck if you put a bunch of mana dorks in there or a bunch of like cheap etb creatures like reclamation sage or whatever so it really just comes down to whether you're also able to cast non-creature spells i was thinking maybe like i was thinking maybe like in a um in a rashmi list perhaps because yeah you're going to be casting like instance on your opponent's turns but you're also running a lot of cheap creatures that you can flip into off of her and so i think it might be relatively easy in that list to get both because your commander may provide like half of it yeah i was that's definitely a good one i was just gonna say like generically simic list because there's such a good combination of just like spells and creatures that are available to you i feel like most simic commanders end up casting a non-creature and a creature um around turns like four plus you know so i i think this is pretty good i'm gonna have to test with it to see like how good and where (laughs) you know like Mm -hmm. how often can i trigger this was it worth it did i have to warp like my deck building these are things that remain to be seen at least for me it's it's the kind of card that like triggers a couple of my like you know my value radar i guess it triggers my value radar uh, yeah, and so I just need to like figure out the puzzle of where I can get this because like getting a free mana, getting potentially getting a free card, uh, these are at the beginning of each end step. Those are that's pretty attractive. Yeah, that's pretty good. And then on top of the fact that it's three artifacts that you can do whatever with too, you know, like like I could, I don't have to use these just for mana and cards. I can also use them for who knows what. I don't know yet. KCI maybe mm-hmm. something. Which, uh, speaking of sacking things to KCI, <laughs> um, this next card is pretty buck wild. This is Gaia's Will. It is a costless green card. It has no mana cost, but it has suspend four for a green mana, just one green. Until end of turn, you may play lands and cast spells from your graveyard. If a card would be put into your graveyard from anywhere this turn, exile that card instead. Um. So, I mean, how do you feel about this card? I mean, it's definitely not a Yagmas will. Yeah. Uh, the suspend, I just treat like anything with suspend of more than two as if it's never going to happen. Um, 
and I think so, but you can potentially get it by like cascading into it with in like a first sliver or a Yidra stick, but I don't really know if either of those lists are especially well equipped to play out of their graveyard. Yeah. I, I was thinking in like a Jadzi list, that could be pretty good. Yes, that was actually where I was going to say too. I think Jadzi is like the perfect place for this list. Yeah. Because... Or for the perfect list for this card. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Jadzi, um, once she's on the battlefield, like her Magecraft trigger is, uh, whenever you cast or copy an instant or sorcery spell, reveal the top card of your library. If it's a non-land card, you may cast it by paying one rather than paying its mana cost. And then if it's a land, put it onto the battlefield. So if you flip into uh, Gaia's will, you're you're not paying its mana cost, which it doesn't have. You're paying the one. So if it's on top of your library, you can cast it uh, with Jadzi, and then it's pretty should be pretty good in that list. Like that list is running a lot of like cheap cantrips in order to set up your Jadzi flips and also just to trigger her more easily. I think that is a place where it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I agree. I think like one of the things about Jadzi is like going off. It's like fun and cool to go off with Jadzi um, once once she's there, but it's kind of hard to do that. Um, I think this card gives you enough gas like flipping into this card means that all of a sudden that turn kind of becomes trivial to um, get things moving in the way you want. So do you want to start off reading this next one? Sanctum Weaver. It is one and a green for a 0-2 enchantment creature dryad. It has tap, add X mana of any one color, where X is the number of enchantments enchantments you control. Uh, And this is uh, very easy, very easily... It's very good in every (laughs) enchantress deck. Uh, it's yeah. <laughs> pretty easy to see that. I, I don't know if there's a lot of insightful things you can say about this card. No, I, I think this is just a good card, and I think you will play this in your Enchantress decks, and I I think that's it. Um, there's more meta things about this card and some others that we can talk about at the end of all these spoilers, but I don't think we have time <laughs> to do that right now. So um, Let's get on to, uh, we paired up the next two cards. Can I read them and you get into them? Yes, go ahead. There's two cards here. I'm going to go in mana value order. So the first one is Scurry Oak. It is a 1-2 tree folk for two and a green. It has evolve. So whenever a creature enters the battlefield under your control, if it has greater power or toughness than this creature, you put a plus one plus one counter on it. And it has whenever one or more plus one plus one counters are put on Scurry Oak, you may create a 1-1 green squirrel creature token. Uh, the next card is Herd Baloth. It is a 4-4 beast for 5 mana, 3 green green. Whenever one or more plus 1 plus 1 counters are put on Herd Baloth, you may create a 4-4 green beast creature token. So uh, hmm, why would we group these two cards together? Because <laughs> uh, they combo with the exact same cards. Whoa! Uh, they both go infinite with both Cathar's Crusade uh, or Ivy Lane Denizen, and uh, or, or pretty much any card that like triggers whenever a creature enters the battlefield and puts a plus one plus one counter somewhere. Um, so both of these cards are going to generate infinite tokens in combination with those other two. Um, and actually, like I guess it's worth noting that because Ivy Lane Denizen is a creature, uh, this is a this is like a, a tooth and nail combo. That, oh yeah, you're right. You I know. didn't actually realize that. So that's pretty cool. Um, yeah. 
But of, of course, it's not the most efficient thing you could do with a tooth and nail, but notable nonetheless. Uh, but it also just like in in terms of like non combo uses, well, no, it's still a combo use. Uh, it's also just like great in in gave. Um, you know, this is one other piece away from going infinite with gave. Like if you have an Ashnod's altar, just like a way to convert the token you generate back into mana, then mm-hmm. you can go infinite from there. Um, Boom. But there's, yeah, it's a couple neat cards. I like seeing the rewards for plus one plus one counters. I like these like new weird combos that are enabled. Uh, neat stuff coming out of the set. Mm-hmm. I did not expect that both of these cards would be in this one set. Mm-hmm. Like, I did not expect two cards to combo with Cather's Crusade. <laughs> um, and I think moving on, the next card is Squirrel Sanctuary. It is a green enchantment. It costs a green mana. Whenever Squirrel Sanctuary enters the battlefield, you create a 1-1 green squirrel creature token. And it has whenever a non-token creature you control dies, you may pay one generic mana. If you do, return Squirrel Sanctuary to its owner's hand. So this is pretty cool. Like, this is actually a really interesting card for, like, enchantress lists, you know, or... or uh combo list i guess i'm I'm not exactly sure off the top of my head how i would combo with this but i know it's there the problem is like th- i like this because it's a unique effect for green um there are some ways you can potentially go infinite with this if you have like uh if you have like an earthcraft and like an aura on a land you could like make enough mana to recast it and pay its cost um and then like a sacrifice outlet there's it's it's a combo piece it can fit into some of the things you're doing and it's definitely unique in that it's mono green yeah um, also well i guess the thing that like really made me think about this card was um malira silvok outcast oh <laughs> so if you have like one of the malira combos that generates infinite mana then this will convert it into infinite creatures as well yeah, um, infinite squirrels yeah. with the one mana enchantment. But I, I think like they're just, and I guess there's also like Grumgolly combos as well, or like Renata. So I guess any of those like persist based green combos could potentially be interested in this. Although it kind of requires other cards to really get going in order to pay for the mana. Like it's unfortunate that like all these black cards give you stuff for free and they combo off so easily but green has to work a little harder to make that happen yeah yeah still an interesting card mm-hmm. um this, this next one i love the little art on but the card is not super remarkable but this yeah. is <laughs> yeah this is squirrel sovereign this is a 2-2 squirrel noble for one and a green and it has one single line of text that says other squirrels you control get plus one plus one and it's got like this cute little whenever they do lords like green lords lately they put these like little horns on the creature mm-hmm. and like there's this little horned squirrel guy and it's it's pretty cute. Um so where to where where'd you put this card? Well, you know, if they ever existed a squirrel tribal commander, I would <laughs> I know I would think about it, but yeah, I saw this card and um it was pretty early on in the week and I was convinced that there was going to be changelings again in the set. 
because mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, okay, like we hadn't seen a lot of the squirrel token production, um, and I was like, oh, okay, well, like this is obviously it works with squirrels, but it also works with whatever. But uh, nope, there's just there's no changelings. It's just squirrels. Yeah, definitely unfortunate. Like there's enough weird. There is like a little smattering of weird tribal stuff going on. Like we've seen insect tribal, we've seen crab tribal. <laughs> Uh, and like Changeling Automaton is on the um, the like old border reprint, uh, or, or like can- is coming back in old border in this set. Although God knows what pack you have to open to get them. Um, yeah, I, I kind of wish we were seeing Changelings as well because they're just so useful in so many decks. Yeah, and I, I think it would like make some of this glue come together. But whatever. Yeah. Um, are you ready for this uh, worse version of a card we have? Oh, whatever. It's a very good card, so I don't yeah, mind. Yeah, it's a pretty good... <laughs> exactly. This is Timeless Witness. This is a 2-1 Human Shaman for 4 mana, 2 green green. Whenever time... Oh, sorry. When Timeless Witness enters the battlefield, return target card from your graveyard to your hand, and it has Eternalize for 7 mana, 5 green green. What that means is you can exile it from your graveyard for 7 mana and put it onto the battlefield, except it is a 4-4 black zombie human shaman with no mana cost uh, and you can only do that as a sorcery so uh yeah this is eternal witness riff uh except it has eternalize uh which is cool that's pretty red um it costs four mana so that is worse than eternal witness and you're probably going to use it less often because of that but it uh it still still works yeah you know I mean, slots into all the same combos. That's all I care about. Uh, yep, redundancy. Very excited to see that. I think it's a great card to add to the format. Mm-hmm. And the fact that, like, in a pinch, you can be like, well, I need this card back and just spend seven mana is like, oh, that's fine. Talk about... <laughs> so green's gotten a lot of combo cards, and this next one is also one of those combo cards. <laughs> yep. Uh, so this is Urban Daggertooth. Two green green for a 4-3 creature dinosaur with vigilance. It has enrage, and whenever it's dealt damage, proliferate. So uh there are so so basically what you need to do is like have like a walking ballista or a triskelion, and then any effect that can grant the dagger tooth indestructible or put a plus plus one counter on it. Because if it has a plus plus one counter on it, then you can proliferate that plus plus one counter, and then like its toughness will like continue increasing at the rate it is acquiring more damage so you can just keep going over as as much as you like and you get just like free proliferation and an infinitely large creature at the end of it mm-hmm. uh, so it seems pretty good there's definitely uh decks out there with a green color identity that are already running walking ballista and that are able to put counters on things i'm thinking like lafiel the bounteous that a lot of those decks, according to each EDH rec, are running Walking Ballista, and that can just, without much difficulty, put the counter on the Dagger Tooth. So it just seems like a card that can you can just toss it into existing decks without making any modifications, and like, whoops, now I have an infinite combo. Yeah, no, totally. It um, seems good, and it's just a common. <laughs> mm-hmm. You're just going to be able to get these so easily, and that's awesome. Yeah. Um, this next one... Kind of mind-blowing that it exists. This is Yavimaya Cradle of Growth. It's a legendary land, and it has each land is a forest in addition to its other land types. How do you... 
how do you feel about this card? <laughs> oh God, I just don't know if it needed to exist. Like Urborg, yeah. maybe this is just like old man yelling at Cloud, but like <laughs> Urborg felt very black in the sense that like it's all about corruption and like it is painting everything else with being a swamp. Um, the flavor of like Yavamaya, I guess it's like its trees are growing everywhere. I don't know. I, I, the, the flavor doesn't really work for me. And is, is like the way Urborg and Yavamaya work, is that going to change? Because previously you could run Urborg in your mono white deck and have no problem with it because like oh yeah maybe so well, i mean we'll like, have to wait to see yeah so maybe this is actually like n- not a buff to green but it's just like a huge nerf to urborg well i, I guess <laughs> not a huge one like i have put urborg into into non-black decks before i like had it at one point in my elish norn dick deck so i could run cormus bell and just annihilate everyone's lands forever but it might be that that's that that's not going to be possible going forward. Um, anyway, that's this is all kind of tangential to because like <laughs> that's such a, a a minor corner case. Well, and anyway, this card's cool. It's like yeah. really good fixing for your green decks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really good fixing. There are some cool things you can do with it. We're gonna uh, we we can maybe talk about it later because um, they're all kind of niche things or combo things, but. Um, the only thing I'm going to add to what you said is that, like, I agree that this feels out of place. This doesn't really feel like a green thing. Like, it felt pretty black that, like, the Tomb of Yogmoth like, corrupted the lands around it. Mm-hmm. And it would have made more sense to me to get something that just did what Stormtide Leviathan does, like a land that just makes all lands islands. Like, flavorfully, that makes sense. Like, having a land that's just, like, flooding everything around it you could convince me that like a mountain, like there's just this tectonic region that just like forces earthquakes around, you know, like that it just seemed like forest and plains were the hardest ones to just, Oh yeah. Plains doesn't Um, make any sense. I don't know. Yeah. And, and honestly, plains would be one of the ones that you could do the most with, uh, next to swamps like Mm -hmm. mechanically. So it's just like it, I was happy that Urborg was the only one that did that. And I either wanted them to keep it that way or give all the colors one. So now I'm like, well, you kind of just can't don't keep it. Come on, guys. <laughs> <laughs> this is, is kind of lame. But I'm not going to keep talking about that because we got the multiple color cards to finish up with. So, yes, um, I'll, I'll read yeah. this one real quick. Uh, this is Lazatep Minister. It's a blue and a black. So two mana for a creature zombie wizard. Whenever you discard a card, you may pay one. If you do, amass two. And it had, and it's a one three, so this seems notable in Verena Lich Queen decks. Um, basically, like you know, it it comes down early when you discard a card. Do Verena, you can then create a zombie. Although you know the zombies uh, don't stack, you'll just continue making a larger one. But uh, so it's sort of like two zombies for three mana, which you can split up over multiple turns. And you can also just like grow that zombie. It's 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 good. It's kind of like it seems kind of like niche, but that's kind of just exactly what Verena wants. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's really cool. Um, and I'm I'm into this card existing, and 
Speaking of uh, cards that are great in Verena, <laughs> <laughs> this next one is is pretty rad. It's called Master of Death, and uh, which is that's such a cool name. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, it is a 3-1 zombie wizard for one blue-black, so three mana. When it enters the battlefield, surveil two. So it's like scry, but instead of putting on the bottom of your library, you just mill it. At the beginning of your upkeep, if Master of Death is in your graveyard, you may pay one life. If you do, return it to your hand. Um, this is one of the only instances where the upkeep trigger is probably better than the instep trigger. Just because it can more or less stay safe until you need it on your turn. You can kind of decide if you're going to want it. Uh, not discard to hand size, like weird little things like that. But um, yeah, this is great in Verena. Um I had a friend with an Urtai the Corrupted list that this reminded me of when I saw this. It, it's super good in there. It it clears out the top of the library and you always are able to counter <laughs> spell, which is really funny. Um, and it seems pretty good in Sadissi Brood Tyrant because not only does that deck run a lot of sack outlets because it has a lot of 2-2 zombies like running around. This also gives you zombies. like It itself is a zombie, but it surveils too, which means that you'll be able to mill to make zombies off of Sadissi's trigger. Um and then you can sack it to do it again. So um yeah, that was those are all my thoughts about this card. Yep. Uh that's pretty much my thoughts as well. Um I would like to move on to the next card and would you mind if I read this one out? No, this is awesome. <laughs> uh so this is Dam. It is black black for a sorcery. Destroy target creature. A creature destroyed this way can't be regenerated. And it has overload for two white-white, which means you can cast it for its overload cost. And if you do, you change its text by replacing all instances of target with each. So basically, it's a single target removal spell at sorcery speed for two mana. Or for two white-white, it's just a wrath of God. So, it's... uh pretty pretty damn good um like this just seems like strictly better wrath of god or damnation if you're in a black white color identity Mm -hmm. no i um (laughs) i think it is um i it's just wrath of god but like more (laughs) which is not something i really thought we were gonna see ever Mm -hmm. like they already don't print Wrath of God. So, so yeah. <laughs> yeah um, th- just, I was super surprised to see this. This is, is going to be a staple. This is going to be probably decently expensive. It's the fact that it's a two color staple means that it's going to limit um, the decks that can be played in. So, like, where, whereas Damnation can be played in any black deck and uh, Wrath can be played in any white deck. This can only be played in black-white plus. So hopefully that's going to do something for us. But um, Yeah, I'm, I mean, this... I'm sure that's going to make it a little bit cheaper, at least from the commander side. Yeah, I'm hoping. Um, but yeah, this card is so cool, and I'm I'm just very excited it exists. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, yeah. Uh, next card is Priest of Felrites. It is white black for a 2-2 creature human warlock you can tap it pay three life and sacrifice it to return target creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield and activate that ability only as a sorcery then you can also unearth it for three white black which means you return it from your graveyard to the battlefield it gains haste 
and then exile it at the beginning of the next end step or if it would leave the battlefield. And you can only unearth as a sorcery. What do you think about this card? I love this card. <laughs> <laughs> this card is so cool. Black always has decent reanimation, but like reanimation on creatures is kind of hard to get at a good rate. And we definitely don't have like a critical mass of it. Um, this gets us a little bit closer. You have to be playing white black. So that's that's whatever, you know. But this thing is just so easy to get back. You can Sun Titan it back. You can all the worst versions of Sun Titan that they printed in the last few years it back. Um, it does so much for such a little mana investment. And then worst case scenario, you just unearth it for five and get something back immediately. Like it, it's so versatile. It's it's so cool. Yeah, I just love having that option of like. Um casting it out of your graveyard like if you mill yourself like the, the option to just draw cards as you mill them is so attractive uh and i would really look at this card carefully if i was running a, a black white deck with some sort of self mill component like if you're running Fearja uh, or tiam luminous enigma both of those kind of mill you just as part of their normal game plan and so this could be a free card if you ever flip it over in one of those decks yeah that is, I, I don't know. I'm really excited to play with this card. <laughs> um, and the next card is a, a little bit more, a little bit more niche. It's um called Ravenous Squirrel. It is a one-one squirrel for hybrid black green. So just one mana of either of those colors. Uh, and the art is really funny. It's the squirrel hoarding a bunch, like a dismembered hand and an apple and just a bunch of stuff. Um, whenever you sacrifice an artifact or creature, put a plus one plus one counter on Ravenous Squirrel, and one black green sacrifice an artifact or creature, gain a life and draw a card. Hmm. So yeah, this I mean, the this is not terrible, but I don't necessarily know where I would put. The, I mean, I have some like thoughts, but I don't think they're good. Yeah. <laughs> so. Uh, like Vampiric Rites is the closest analog to this card. Vampiric Rites is a single black mana for an enchantment, and you can pay one to black, sacrifice a creature to gain a life and draw a card. So that doesn't see a ton of play. It's only in about 6,000 decks on EDH rec. And this is like more fragile because it's a creature rather than enchantment, and it's more expensive to activate. Uh, and it just also goes in fewer, a, a more narrow color identity. Artifact sacrifice outlets are pretty rare. And I think this might be able to get you some value in like a Glissa the Trader deck. So yeah, the way to like help you sack your artifacts and then Glissa can then help you recur them. Um, that's kind of what I'm thinking for this. Do you have any other places you think it might be good? I think that's the best one. I so this is the my initial thought was like this gets huge in Corvold, but like, do I want that? I don't think I want that. Like, Corvold already is giving me cards for sacking things and already getting huge for sacking things. Like, do I want to go through the extra step of playing the squirrel too? Like, I don't think so. So mm -hmm. that's kind of where I'm at with it. I, I see that this exists. I think that the Glissa is a pretty good spot for it. But I don't... Um, don't think I'm going to rush to put it into a bunch of lists. Just like right off the bat. Okay. I gotcha. Well, this next card fits into a bunch of lists. Um, yeah. 
This is Ignoble Hierarch. It is a single green mana for a 0-1 creature Goblin Shaman. It has Exalted, and it taps for black, red, or green. And so this is just like a new staple mana dork for anything in like a Jund plus color identity. And that's all I have to say about it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, this is great. Like, the pun is really funny. Um, but just the fact that this is just a one mana mana dork that fixes your colors probably is that's wonderful you know like this card's awesome yeah it's worth noting that like noble hierarch despite uh having like a really really narrow color identity sees play in over eleven thousand decks on edh rec so i have no doubt that the ignoble hierarch is also going to see a fair bit of play yeah just like people are just gonna jam it in the decks of the appropriate colors <laughs> mm-hmm. so we've done it everyone we've made it through the multicolor cards and we just have the artifacts so i'm gonna try to go fast uh this first one is <laughs> this first one is going fast in the art i don't know if we're gonna go fast <laughs> talking about it it's called dermo taxi um <laughs> it's pretty morbid actually it is a two mana artifact vehicle and it has imprint as Dermotaxi enters the battlefield, exile a creature card from a graveyard, and it has tap two untapped creatures you control. Until end of turn, Dermotaxi becomes a copy of the imprinted card, except it's a vehicle artifact in addition to its other types. So um, it takes two to crew whatever taxidermy thing you just created. <laughs> so really, I mean, really quickly, like... It, Eryxmethes, like Phyrexian Dreadnought, um, they're very big and they are probably bigger than the two like squirrel tokens or whatever you use to crew this. I don't think that's the best thing to do. I think like avoiding downsides is the best thing to do, but there's not a lot of creatures with downsides that I really want to like play in my list and also like have most of the time, if that makes sense. Like there aren't many commanders that are asking you to play a bunch of creatures with downside ETB creatures that Dermotaxi can take advantage of. Yeah. The only one I could think of was like Obeka, possibly. Like maybe there's some Obeka lists where like Brute Chronologist who have enough downside creatures that, that she just ends the turn on that like Dermotaxi becomes worth it. But I I don't know. Yeah, it's it's definitely a strange one. Like Unfortunately, because of the way it's worded, you don't get like good ETB triggers and you yeah. <laughs> also don't get upkeep triggers um, because it only sticks around until end of turn. So um, there's just very limited opportunities to like abuse it with the normal suite of creatures you would want to be running in Commander. I don't know. It's going to be sitting on the sidelines for me for a while until I can figure out more to do with it. Unlike... This next card, which uh, I've already seen in action in uh, our little clue friend up above's list. This is Academy Manufacturer. So this is a 1-3 assembly worker. It's an artifact creature for 3 mana, 3 generic. If you would create a clue, food, or treasure token, instead create one of each. If you're making clue, food, or treasure, you just will have too many tokens. Um, and, uh, I had to learn how the trigger works. If you have two of these, like, let's say you clone this, you end up with nine tokens because the first you have the effect that's trying to make, let's say a clue. The first one goes, Oh, Hey, make three of those. And then the other one goes, 
wait no make three one for each of those three so you do end up with nine tokens three clues three food and three treasures um and that would triple if you had a third one (laughs) so um it gets pretty buck wild pretty quickly uh and because of that i am i love this guy this just seems awesome you know like i'd play this in any malcolm list i play this in the clue guy list um i don't know who else makes treasure tokens uh guillaume guillaume it's probably pretty good in you know mm -hmm. yeah that's actually a great point i wish uh that that's pretty darn good like clues and treasures are, are both a lot more valuable than food so if you're playing a commander that can make food then uh that's probably the most profit you can expect yeah like upgrading like a clue into a mana and like some useless <laughs> object <laughs> that you're probably not going to use is fine but turning food into cards and mana also like that seems awesome like that seems great mm-hmm. um and i don't know do you want to keep on moving we're yeah. we're almost there <laughs> almost there all right next card is cauldra complete and that's spelled course c-o-m-p-l-e-a-t this is seven mana for a legendary artifact equipment it has living weapon it's indestructible equipped creature gets plus five plus five and has first strike trample indestructible haste and whenever this creature deals combat damage to a creature exile that creature and it equips for seven um so this is pretty memey uh it's it's all the culture pieces at once with living weapon um for seven mana i I think that oh how do you you feel about this thing um (laughs) yeah i don't so i'm not super high on cauldra like i i think that uh so i mean 12 year old zach is losing his mind because like oh no the phyrexians got him because the last time we saw cauldra he was in the center of the planet like fighting uh memnark so there you go Mm -hmm. but um that was definitely one of the first places to get corrupted when the phyrexians came um story aside like a lot of the places that living weapons are good don't apply to cauldra because it's like dalakos is was great with living weapon because you cast your like let's say you cast your uh bone horde which is a living weapon for four it's a uh basically a lurgoif that's as big as the creatures in graveyard in your graveyard or i think it's all graveyards um and when Dalakos is out, equipped creatures get flying in haste. So your huge four mana equipment is also a creature with flying in haste. So that's pretty good. The problem with Cauldra is that you spend seven mana and, and Dalakos helps you with that, but he's already got haste, you know, like, so it gets flying, but like, you kind of want him to block. Like it has an destructible, it has first strike, it exiles them when they hit, it has trample, like, it's it's not helped out too much there so as as like, strange as this card looks it's really just like a vanilla creature yeah it's it <laughs> exactly so like there's something to be said in modern when you can have multiple copies and like i don't think it's gonna replace batter skull and like stoneforge list but it it might be good enough but there's just like not actually a lot of places for this card all right uh moving on to the next one this is Liquid Metal Torque. It's a two mana artifact that taps for colorless and has tap. Target non land permanent becomes an artifact in addition to its other types until end of turn. 
Notably, there's there's one notable difference between this and liquid metal coating, which is that it can't target lands, so you can't like animate or can't target them to make them artifacts and then like animate them with Karn Silver Golem or like Sidri Galvanic Genius. So removes a little bit of the functionality. Um, but like two mana rocks are so easy to fit into your deck in this format. So oh, yeah. there and there are a lot of commanders where this is going to be pretty useful. Like in Hirobi Death's Whale, this is just a free way to target your opponent's creatures and yeah, kill just, them. Just kill them, just blow them up for yeah, free. Nuke those guys. Uh, with Memnarch, it kind of like saves you a lot of mana. So you can just directly steal any permanent for three. Rebek, um, if you turn Rebek into an artifact, then he gains the advantage of his own ability, giving him protection from a lot of things. And then like any commander that blows up artifacts like a Kogla or a Glissa Sunseeker, uh, this just turns him into like Vindicate, basically. I really like this in like Kirkesh. Like you said, it's really easy to fit two mana rocks into lists. That two mana rocks are awesome for Kirkesh because you get him turn three. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then after that it turns you're like like some of the best cards in that deck are like Goblin Welder, Goblin Engineer, like Slowbad which are notably not artifacts that Kirkesh can copy, but if all of a sudden they are artifacts that Kirkesh can copy, that's a that's a pretty big game. So I, I like it there too. Um there's kind of like you said, the fact that this is being snuck in, like it, it's not as good as liquid metal coating, but it also taps for two, so it's not dead all the times when liquid metal coating is mostly dead. <laughs> so it actually um, does something to increase your resources and further your game plan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no matter what, you're going to get to lo- use your Liquid Metal Torque, even if it's not that second ability, um, which is great. And I love that. And I'm excited to see what other like two and three mana rocks they make with like minor upside because uh, I'm all about that. Um, so we only have one more card to talk about right now. Um, do you want to get into this? Yes, uh, this is Sword of Hearth and Home. Three mana artifact equipment. Equipped creature gets plus two plus two and has protection from green and from white. Whenever equipped creature deals combat damage to a player, exile up to one target creature you own, then search your library for a basic land card. Put both cards onto the battlefield under your control, then shuffle, and it equips for two. Yeah, so uh, I lied. We were going to talk about like uh, some cards after this, but oh, oh, this... Uh, literally ten more cards. <laughs> Yo, yeah, ten, ten more, but it's one more. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but... um. Yeah, this is awesome. I think you had some stats on this that we should get into before we like talk about the card more. Yes. Uh, so Conjurer's Closet is in 16.7 thousand decks on EDH Rec. Sword of the Animist is in 33,000 decks on EDH Rec. So both of these effects are clearly things that are, are really popular. There's some pluses and minuses, certainly. You know, if you don't have a creature that can attack the turn you draw this, then you don't get like the blink or the land on that first turn. So that's kind of a downside relative to Conjurer's Closet. But just in general, this is like a lot of value and blink decks are going to love this thing. You get a little bit of the mana back on the equip cost just by getting that land that first turn. Also, like it's worth noting that White has a fair number of equipment tutors between Steel Shaper's Gift, Stoneforge Mystic, and Open the Armory. 
So this is a way for white decks to easily pull a blink engine out of their deck uh, when otherwise like it would have been a lot harder because you know there aren't that many blink engines that white can tutor out. So that's that's a pretty useful effect. What are what are your thoughts on the card? No, I, I just think this is um this is probably one of the best ones that we've gotten. They said they wanted to make a sword that was constructive, especially the green white one, because most of the swords are destructive. They either like blow up things that your opponent are doing or make them discard or something like that. Um, and I think because of that, this is just going to be one of the most uh, versatile swords that we end up getting. The blue-white one was pretty good from last Modern Horizons. Um, I cannot remember the name of it. It was... Um, truth and Justice. Truth and Justice, yeah. Which put counters on things and proliferated. So like that that's pretty cool, but not a lot of decks necessarily want to proliferate. There's a lot of decks that want to ramp, pretty much all of them. <laughs> yep. And there's a lot, and there's a lot of decks that uh, want to rebuy ETBs, like a a crap ton of them. So um, this just seems like it's gonna be forever a new staple. Whereas some of the swords are not necessarily. Yeah, I haven't you know? seen a lot of sinew and steel out in the wild. Yeah, I mean, I mean, even like light and shadow isn't really that played anymore. You know, like yeah, it's just not really out there as much. Uh, I will say that it's notable that it um, exiles up to one target creature you own. So yes. if you have something that say like exchanges control of creatures, like say a gilded drake, maybe um, you can keep using that. You can, it's it's sort of like works like Amina two in that way. Um, where you can just keep stealing things over and over, and and like it's like that dog in uh in Snatch that the yeah, uh, yeah. That the travelers <laughs> gave I away. Forgot. Yeah, I forgot about that. Like eggs. Yeah. <laughs> All right, moving on to the very last card. Um, yes. this is one we we hinted at briefly before. Razor Tide Bridge. It's an artifact land, enters a battlefield tapped, it's indestructible, and taps for white or blue. And this is a full 10-card cycle with each of the two color combinations. Um, what are your thoughts on this card? How do you feel about the introduction of these new artifact lands? Oh, I can't. So, okay, so I didn't realize they were artifact lands when I first saw them. I'm like, okay, indestructible tap lands. That's a funny way to like justify they're different or whatever. And then I saw their artifact lands, and I was like, Oh, <laughs> um, it just it feels kind of bad that like artifact lands are like they're they're putting the artifact lands like the best way to use these artifact lands is now in like a five color list. I don't know, like, because you're not really gonna just play like one in like my white blue list you know like i will play one in my white red jorkadine list that's true that is true but it is weird to me that like this cycle exists it's weird to me that they were like hey yo what if we made artifact lands but they were tapped and two colors because it just means that like now your five color control list can like can <laughs> Really, I don't know. It just it feels weird. It feels bad to me. I don't know if it's as bad as I 
feel it. I, I'm willing to change my mind with data, you know? I, I think that, well, we'll see how things go. Maybe a lot of people are thinking along the same lines of me and want to do like the, you know, the five color Armageddon, like one-sided Armageddon. Yeah, that, that's what I'm worried about. <laughs> but I think there are a lot of cool ways to use these, like, um, you know, Noyandar Royal Shaper would love the addition of another indestructible land. Oh, yeah. Target. Um, Dorkadine, as I mentioned. Uh, there's some partner pairs that care about artifacts that would want this. So I think there's some good utility, some good fair, fun magic to be had with these. But I am definitely, oh God, I just realized. So if I were to do this, I would, it has, I would want a five color commander and preferably one that could help me find the lands. So I think this is like the impetus that's going to make me build a Golos build deck. A Golos. <laughs> oh no. I'm one of them now. It's time. It's time. And then he, he looked up and then he too loved Big Brother. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah. No, I mean, it's that, that is the problem with the five color lands commander. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's oh, just I'm the filled. best option. I'm trash. <laughs> but yeah, I, I want to see what happens to these in the format because it might be the case that my worst fears don't come to pass and everything is fine. And, and, uh, these just help budget players fix their mana base. And maybe every now and then someone makes a four, four creature that's indestructible or something. But like, mm-hmm. I feel like that's, not <laughs> that's not what's going to be what people do. So I guess we'll have to wait and see. We'll find out. And, and, uh, just for our reference, I did get some answers back on judge related stuff um and so young necromancer yeah the, it does work the way i wanted it to work it's a two card combo with uh altar of dementia and also with greater good uh you can just win the game and that's uh that's cool yeah uh, that's pretty good yeah so forget what i said about it not having combo potential because of the, the exiling apparently you can work around that Woo. Actually, so, that could be really interesting if they have more um, creatures that like ETB and have that. Oh, what's it called? Reflexive like trigger. Yeah, reflect. Yeah, I think. Well, I think it's a reflexive trigger. That sounds right. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, thank you all for listening to this very long episode. And before we go, <laughs> I want to give a very brief thank you to our Patreon patrons. Um, they are Gustav, Ryan, Mark, Eamon, Addison, Mason, Rick, Laser, Raphael, Charlotte, The White Clays, Hannah, Anthony, Andy, Dylan, James, Justin, Logan, Roger, Evan, Bryce, Dylan, Benjamin, Jamie, Matthew, Jason, Kyle, Brandon, Kaidel, Jeremy, Russell, Troy, Dylan, Walter, Leo, Ian, John, John, Tom, Kevin, Roxanne, Brian, and Charles. Thank you all for supporting the show. And if you're not currently a Patreon patron but would like to become one, please check us out at patreon.com slash commander theory. Thanks for listening. If any of you theorists want to get in touch with us, I am at Commander Theory on Twitter and Tumblr, and Zach is at Fat Bartleby on Twitter. Our theme song is Lincoln Continental by Entropy, and you can check him out on SoundCloud. Until next time, we're going back to the drawing board. <laughs>